the Ursus Claws! Hello and welcome to episode 122 of the Age of Darkness podcast. As usual, we have an incredible show for everybody out there. Darren, what are we doing in the more gaming side? So we're carrying on with our theme of campaigns over this kind of few winter episodes, and we're going to be developing from a Black Library novel, um, Praetorian of Dawn, and we're going to be looking at the free campaign booklet from Warhammer Community on the harrowing of Hydra and the campaign that sees Alpharius get murdered by Dawn. You had to. You just had to, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I really did. All right, all right. Well, there's going to be plenty of time to talk about um, how Alpharius is, in fact, hashtag not dead. Um, in Painting Black and Other Colors, Miles, what do you have for us, sir? Well, it would seem rude in an episode where we co- cover the Huskals rules, not to cover how to model your own Huskals. We are doing Huskals. Well, that's going to be fantastic. In Tales of Heresy, we're going to be um, continuing our series on the uh, book Deathfire uh, by Nikaim. And uh, continuing to, uh, I guess, uh, um, get reacquainted with classical literature. Uh, but before all that, we have a very special guest, uh, Miles. Yes, we do. Benjamin Greaves. He's very kindly agreed to come onto the show and talk through his experience uh, during the last Horus Heresy tournament held at Warhammer World. But before we go into talking about Battle Pluto, uh, I actually managed to play a game the other day, uh, which is uh, rather shocking. And as we're, we, 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 we think that there's a new rule set coming up, um, um, it makes me, uh, makes me hope that there's going to be some fixes. Anyways, uh, so uh, last weekend, uh, somehow I managed to play a, a 9,000 point game in my fucking kitchen <laughs> in my tiny Montreal apartment. Uh, we got uh, a four, t- uh, sorry, a 12 by uh, four table in. So we played a uh, six player game, no, five player game. And uh, it was uh, it, it was pretty epic. So I want to talk about that real quick. Uh, so it was uh, myself, Tama, um, uh, and we were both playing three thousand points of Iron Warriors, so six thousand points of Iron Warriors, and uh, uh, Buddy Smo, um, who had uh, three thousand points of uh, Runestorn Demons, uh, and this was the first time playing actually thirty k Demons, and we were playing against a full Knight household, uh, I think like four thousand points or so, and two giant Imperial militia armies uh one of them was using the um the armored list from imperial armor one which we figured was fine uh it's still you know still seventh edition and it's uh it's uh i mean until they give us an actual armored militia list the best that we have and then another uh militia list with uh, mainly infantry mainly using uh models from dust which is pretty rad uh like the americas from dust uh all, all this stuff from dust is really nice they've gone out of business now haven't they Dust? No, no, they're back. They got they, they oh, screwed good. themselves over. Oh, um, they they there was something that happened with uh, Battlefront. They managed to like I don't remember exactly the details, but they got into um, a sort of an agreement with Battlefront for distribution. And uh, Battlefront apparently all they did was use Dust as a way to get Flames of War into stores. They didn't give a shit about Dust. They t- they, they they got the distribution rights or something. And they were just using it as a way to get uh, Flames of War into stores. So uh, Battlefront essentially like tried to destroy, uh, maybe not on purpose, but they, 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 they were responsible for Dust almost fucking dying. But Dust is back. People are still playing it. Uh, and the models are great. Um, I can't stand the fact that they are 
uh, pre-assembled. I can't deal with that because uh, that's like one of the most fun parts of the hobby is assembling models. But, you know, so uh, it was uh, um, it was it was a big slog. I don't want to get into too many details about the uh, about the game, but I just want to mention <laughs> one of the, the, the big themes was fuck. I hate stomps. Jesus Christ. Fucking stomps. Uh, so my buddy Eric's uh, 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 knight household, knights are not overpowered. People tend to think that knights are overpowered. They're really not if you have some anti-tank in your army. And we had, uh, we had 25 Tyrant Terminators on our side. We should have been fine. <laughs> but fucking Eric just rolled sixes on every damn stomp that he, probably, that, that he possibly could. He stomped out. Uh, um, I mean, we, we destroyed like most of the knights. Uh, the, 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 uh, there was uh, six big fuck off knights and like four fu- small fuck off knights just on stomps and not this is not counting, uh, I believe, D's on, on, on their chain swords. Managed to stomp out a Spartan full of Tyrant Terminators, then all the Tyrant Terminators. So 10 Tyrant Terminators, a Praetor, a, 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 and a Primus Medicaid stomped out. Managed to stomp out in my unit of tyrants. Stomped out at least another like five. <laughs> stomped, um, I think another five tyrants from another unit. So like most tyrants were stomped out from the Runestorm demons. Three greater demons, inc- including the Runestorm um, super demon, the, the the Lord of War. Um, it was absolutely nonsense. The knights died, but they managed to take pretty much everything else out. It was it was such a tight game though, and it was one of those that you're you're just hoping for objectives, um, and and I, I, I everything kind of hinged on taking it uh, on on a bunch of plague bearers, <laughs> managing to take an objective in the middle that would have changed everything, and and unfortunately they did not. The uh, loyalists won, but Jesus Christ, the stomps were unending. I hope that changed the new edition. Like the stomps are too fucking stupid. It, it's so. It's so powerful. It's not even considered a D. And I don't think it's necessary because they already have their D chainsword attacks. Anyways, I don't know. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it's lucky dice rolls, isn't it? That's a large part. Oh, man. And we've, when, and we've all come across those armies that do have those lucky, lucky dice rolls when they need it. But that's unfortunately what you also remember, isn't it? That's the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was interesting too. We tried, uh, since we were playing a, uh, a, a, you know, a fairly enormous game like... Um, 18,000 points total between two sides. Uh, we decided to try, I guess, a variation of the new Apocalypse rules. Of course, we didn't have the actual Apocalypse like counters and everything like that. Um, but we, what we tried to do is in, in the first turn is we wrote down um, all the hits that we did and against whom, like on a piece of paper. And then we resolved it at the end of the first round, which made things more balanced because considering the damage uh, that the Knights did, because, you know, like Knights are moving 12 and charging. So considering the knights, the damage the knights did on the first turn, we, uh, our side would probably have, it, it wouldn't have been worth continuing to play had we not done that. So we played a variation of that where we resolved everything uh, at the same time at the end of the round. It was a little bit more laborious, but it made the game a little bit more fair. But it makes me really want to try the new edition of, uh, of Apocalypse. I, I like the idea, because Apocalypse, the one thing that's so frustrating is you play it, you play your first turn. If you don't get the first turn, most of your army's dead. If you brought a Warhound, that's dead. <laughs> you know? All your Super Heavies are gone after the first round. They will not get a chance to do anything. And, and 
and the idea of resolving at the end of the first turn rather than uh, during the turn, um, I, I felt made it a lot more competitive and more interesting going like, you know, to, to actually play through. Yeah, I mean, because the latest set of Apocalypse rules are very similar to some of the old Epic rules, aren't they, and how they function. Yeah, well, the old box didn't, didn't work well. Like, how, how often have you, um, in the old rules, did you actually finish a game? Well, you never did, did you? You got to about turn yeah, two exactly. and everything, everything ground down, didn't it? So, yeah. But then my argument for that is is that those particular game systems never, well, the base 40k rule set was never designed to handle games of that size. So they needed a particular rule set to handle that size games. And I think what the modern... <laughs> Apocalypse, yeah. Oh, Epic is a standalone system, though. But if you're using 28 mil models, I think you need yeah, a specific you, system to handle that. Upscaled Epic, yeah. Yeah. Which would, would, which is brilliant. I mean, I love Epic anyway. Second edition, unless keeping some for later ones, but um, Epic Armageddon's all right. But how did your Praetor get on? Because you know um, your Praetor does have a reputation <laughs> of killing knights. He killed one knight. He killed one knight in in in, in close combat. Uh, I managed to survive a, a first round without getting stomped out. I think the, uh, uh, the the night that they were in combat with stomped out one. Uh, like I think he stomped out like five tyrants, but uh, in the, the following round, uh, Krios managed to uh, slay another knight, which was fantastic. So he's up to, I think he's up to five, uh, including uh, knights destroyed with, you know, with his uh, personal uh, transport was a falcon. Um, so I don't know if they, I, 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 you know, it's debatable whether that counts. Definitely narratively it does. But he's killed two knights so far in, in, in close combat, which is excellent for a Praetor. It is. And, you know, I mean... It's mainly the Servo Harness. I think yeah. both times it was a Servo Harness, but uh, yeah, it was absolutely brutal. Oh, um, but like one thing that we realized just opens knights like can openers. Uh, I didn't do this, but uh, uh, Tama, uh, my, um, uh, my, 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 my teammate... Uh, he gave uh, Chain Fist to all his uh, his tyrants, and just fucking opened up knights. Chain fists are awesome. I I love chain fists. Ar yeah, Armor Bane is one of those the best rules in the system. I really like Armor Bane. So yeah, it was a it was a brutal game. Uh, again, it came down to oh the other thing that we did is we were scoring every turn, and, and I think that everybody should do this. Um, the best missions are the ones that you score every turn uh, instead of the uh, the end of the game. So, you know, we were we were looking at the points it's like, OK, it's not looking great. But if we just have one good round, we could actually uh, pull it off. And we almost did. It was yeah, I, absolutely I, fucking epic. I agree with you on that. I think games where you're scoring every turn, I mean, some of the um, Titanicus missions do that. Some of the open war cards for the last couple of editions of 40K do that as well. And AOS does it in a lot of missions. And I think there's a lot to be said for that because it really drives you onto objectives. It saves yeah. that hanging back and waiting for those last turn objective grabs because it just doesn't work. So, yeah, scoring every turn, I think, is a, is a good mechanic in missions. So, anyway, so that was the uh, 30K Stomparama in my kitchen. <laughs> it was super fun, though. And and uh, I'm not complaining about the stumps. I'm just thinking, Jesus, like, you should at least get a fucking save on those sixes, but uh, whatever. Just it's, so It's brutal. one of those rules, isn't it? I mean, I know we're all kind of, waiting with bated breath about the new edition rules and it it just highlights once again a few changes are just needed here and there to just tighten up the system yeah. uh, looking at you artificial armored sergeants that's my that's my pet bane anyway so that's cool um 
do we want to talk about upcoming confirmed releases like a certain 16th legion terminator praetor yes i mean tonight we have confirmation that next week at time of recording uh, the praetor will be up for pre-order I-, I mean this is a good steady stream of releases um can't wait to see what's coming up next um yeah i mean obviously i'm massively biased on this sculpt but Come on, it is one of the best Praetor sculpts have released so far. It just it's, it's, sums up that it's the region. best Terminator. Yeah, yeah it's the best Terminator yeah. sculpt. It's the, the the pose of arrogance it has in something wearing cataphracty plate is just amazing. It, it's a pose of dominance and surety and unrivaled uh, martial prowess. And I like the little details, like it's got the, uh, the skull on there, which you have to paint that gold. You've got the Chthonian scripts, but you've also got a fur on there, which is tucked away in the Black Book One background from Sons of Horus, that they wear wolf pelts as a sign of officer rank. And you've hardly mm-hmm. seen any of the sculpts so far, and this one finally has it. So, yeah, it, it ticks a lot of... Um, boxes for me i'm less keen on having a cloak but then i never like cloaks and combat models anyway so i'm kind of hoping the cloak is a, is a separate piece so i don't have to have it, it, it looks it looks like it's a separate piece yeah it yeah. looks like yeah but yeah and i like the loadout i know i know a lot of people don't like power malls i love power malls i have them on quite a lot of my malls in my arms. really so why? i'm kind of why because there's nothing Horus. more fun than bludgeoning, bludgeoning someone to death with a blunt object, is there? Um, no, and as Miles said, I take it that a lot of my company officers carry maces as a sign of authority. So they're yeah. mimicking world, uh, world Breaker. So I tend to have a lot of my officers either with lightning claws or power moves. Fair enough, fair enough. And it's brutal against anything with <laughs> armor four. Yeah, so uh, all, all my militia. Not that yeah. you would have had any issues killing the militia anyway. No, but it's fun just beating them to death with a blunt object. <laughs> and automator. It's good against automata because you get that's that true. couple of bonus of strength. So and concussion can help you out. So but you know, little things. I like it just because I like the look of them as well. Just from even narrative background. But yeah, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous sculpt. Unusual we didn't get it at the same time as our power armor where all the others have both been released at the same time, but at least it has come out relatively quick, so we'll, we'll take yeah. that. Well, hopefully other legions get uh, their praetors soon. Um, it does seem... It does look like they're, 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 they're making uh, praetors for uh, every legion. Um, We've got to be about halfway through them now, haven't we? Is it halfway, you think? Uh, Night Lords, I think, were the first. Dark uh, Angels no, have the theirs. Th- thousand Suns. Thousand Suns. Thousand Suns. <laughs> Space Wolves, famously. Space Wolves have theirs. Blood uh, Angels. Blood Angels. Yeah. Uh, Imperial Dark Fists Angels. have theirs. Yeah. Dark Angels, Sons of Horus now. Yeah. Uh, we we're... waited on Death Death Guard, uh, Emperor's Children, Iron Hands. Iron Warriors. Uh, Iron, Iron Warriors, Warriors. We never Warriors. have any because we can't, we're not allowed having anything nice. Uh, Salamanders. Uh, imp- imp- we're missing. Imp- yeah. Imperial Fists probably have the best single miniature Praetor in the range. Uh, the think? one running forward in Mark. Oh, the one running forward in Mark Three armor is a masterpiece. I didn't think it was that good. I, I no, thought it was it's, good. But... It's so good. It's oh, okay. so good. It could be a character model. It's that good. Oh, mm. Fair enough. But there's, 
It's good. No, no, no. It's nice we're getting those little bits and pieces now, isn't it? It's, it's kind of filling out the range quite nicely. Um, and it's it's quality releases as well. It it doesn't feel like it's drip fed here and there when they get around to doing it just to keep heresy on life support. This feels like it's the trickle of a flood, a, a dam that's about to burst. Yes, I would agree. It, it's almost like they're gearing up like, oh, here are your character models that you need to lead your Legion forces and in a little while you'll soon get all the rank troops to go with them. Yeah. Oh, fingers crossed. That's good. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. I'm hopefully, hopefully, uh, GW will do some sort of preview in the New Year because we normally traditionally have a New Year's open day. I can't see them doing a physical open day this year, but hopefully we'll get some no. sort of online preview. And fingers crossed, we get something there. Yeah, let's hope. And welcome back, everybody, to a very special episode uh, interlude of Painting Black and Other Colours. We have a special guest on the line, Mr. Ben Greaves. Anybody okay. who uses Twitter... Hello, hello. Anybody who <laughs> uses Twitter will, will know him already for having this ungodly ability to knock out an army in between tournaments. He just seems to speed paint everything with great accuracy and style. And in all honesty, I think people hate follow you for that as well. <laughs> <laughs> but if you weren't such a nice guy, it, it, it would be a little bit more uh, troublesome. Uh, so, Ben, thank you so much for coming on to the show. No uh, and we've got you on to talk about the recent tournament that happened at yeah, Warhammer yeah. World. But before that, um, Ben, would you like to tell us uh, about... What, what was your first interaction with Horus Heresy? Why do you love Horus Heresy? So, well, if I'd argue my, my first interaction with Horus Heresy would be my first ever box game from GW, which was, um, was it Titan Legions or Adeptus Titanicus? I think it was Adeptus Titanicus with the um, Beetleback Warlords um, back in the like, early 90s, uh, late 80s. Titan like Legions, I think it was. Yeah, so literally... Oh, no, it, 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 it was Adeptus Titanicus, I believe. It was, it was the original, original, original. I think Adeptus Titan Titanicus, Legions yeah. is the one with the Imperator that came later. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yes. And the Orc, yeah, that's right. So it's Adeptus Titanicus, and the Horus Heresy is the storyline to that game, um, which was literally, at the time, GW's excuse for we can't afford to make two separate armies for this so we'll make the same army twice do one in blue plastic one in red plastic and we'll make up a reason why they're fighting each other um, and that's where the heresy started so like Horus was just a dude back then he wasn't a Primarch or a Space Marine or anything like that um, yeah it wasn't was kind of Warmaster was he he was, he was, he was just a general he, he was a war. He was the war master, but he uh, wasn't he, I, a space I think marine. The, the original text was uh, he was uh, like uh, one of um, the emperor's greatest generals, and yeah, yeah, he rebelled with a third of the hosts of the Imperium, and then uh, the emperor defeated him by casting him from his yeah. uh, by his talent into the Eye of Terror. It's, um, it's, yeah, it's something like that. But that I just remember vividly that the that that just little bit of information I was hooked onto the uh, the whole concept of the Horus Heresy, and then I, I did like. Um, 40k um second edition left for third edition and fourth edition because i was at uni um and then uh came back to it with after that and then i did horse heresy through um a f like a web forum called the great crusade it used to be called oh god yeah I remember that. <laughs> so there was a there was a bunch of us there that were uh, trying to do sort of like heresy armies using 40k rules and our own homebrew rules and then 
Bad Ad War came out from Forge World, which was quite clearly like heresy soft because it was a way to release all the old mm-hmm. arm marks and stuff. And then yeah. I've been in it since Forge World released the first black book. And, and um, the, so the, yeah, this is nothing pretty to... much every army that they do. <laughs> Uh, th- yeah, this is pretty much nothing to do with the uh, segment or the interview or any of the questions I set you beforehand. But uh, I mean, you've collected such a wide, a wide range of armies, and you've played them all. What, what's been your favourite army, personally, for you to play? What's been the most fun for you? Mechanicum, Mechanicum in the early days was really fun to play as because it was just completely different to the Legion stuff, mm-hmm. um, and yeah. they didn't have a lot of the big hitters they have now. Um, so I, I really enjoyed those, and plus, like aesthetically it was so different because there weren't, weren't plastic adeptus mechanicus or anything like that at that time so that was the first sort of mechanicus army that gw had done so it was it was really nice it was it was nice to play because it looked different um mm. it played different i don't know i'm, I'm torn because i've got a real <laughs> soft spot for the iron warriors as well they were really good fun to play with um ah. uh, so J- jp's a big iron warriors fan as well I think you yeah. have a lot to talk about there. <laughs> Paint silver win. That's what I'm worried about. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, I always get angry when people uh, call the Iron Warriors the Necrons of uh, of 30k. Where no, oh, I no. just oh, I just pay them. I, gun, I picked, uh, oh no, God, I, I picked, didn't ask the, this question now. Anybody no, that's ever said that has never painted a hazard stripe. The Iron Apologies. Warriors were my um, the Iron Warriors I like because it was the Primarch I liked the most because he wasn't a baddie because he liked chaos or he had any vanity or anything like that. He just liked Taurus more than the other dude, which I kind of liked. So I'm like, I'm going with you because I like you more. Um, I, nah, I just, I'm very, they were, they were a quick way to paint. Um, like I say, I, I do a new army for every event and I've been to every event Warhammer World run. So um, anything that you can speed paint and metals for me, and unfortunately, sorry, I find hazards pretty easy to do with masking tape as well. So I am, um, um, I found the quick, yeah, I really enjoyed the Iron Warriors. The Dark Angels I'm having fun with, but I haven't had a lot of games with them yet. So yeah, I'd probably say the Iron Warriors were the most fun to play with. Right. Okay. Uh, I, I feel like if I don't cut you off here, uh, you yeah, I'll just waffle. Ra- ra- I will waffle. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> talk. Oh, 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 hold on. Just one quick question. Um, you said you, you do a new army for every event. That is yeah, an incredible task. Uh, but how many armies are we talking about? How many armies have you have you have, have so, you put together? When I say new armies, it is a new army. Like I never use the same model twice at an event. I'm like a fashionista with clothes, but with models instead. <laughs> Um, so I never, I never, I've not, not used the same model. To, well, that's not a lie, actually. I've had a Spartan that's been in four different paint schemes. But other than that, um, um, yeah, so I've had, I've taken Iron Warriors, I think, four or five times. But every time I've painted, I painted new stuff. So it was a new army, essentially, but it was always Iron, Iron Warriors. I've done four separate Mechanicum armies. I've done three different Dark Angel armies. I, I did an Imperial Knight army. Um, I did two Titans for an event. Um so yeah, I've I've painted quite a lot, but actually they don't. You say that, but they don't actually hold that many heresy events year on year. So it's like yeah. I, but but I, we I've do got, have to say they they done to it. I know you're not going to say this because you you. I mean, we're British. We don't do this, but they're all done to a really high standard as well. It, it's not just like a a, a spray and dip job. They're all done. It's to relative. Very, very... It's relative, isn't it? Like no, no, I'm, no. They I'm... are very good. I'm proud of my armies, but then they're never the best ones there. 
if you put, they're also not the worst ones there right so i'm always happy with what i've, I've seen this this is the british thing in us uh, <laughs> where, where can we find okay because we don't do this either we don't plug naturally ben where can we hmm. find your stuff so i'm on i'm on instagram as ben greaves and i'm on twitter as heresy junkie and also ben greaves um they're just there's no i don't do it it's, it's just a personal i paint stuff and stick it up there um so yeah, that's that's where you'll find my stuff. Really. We we are definitely plugging that towards the end. But the reason why we're on here, we wanted you on here uh, to, for our listeners to experience the heresy event, um, because you, you you go like you say you're a, an event aficionado. Um, we we want to uh, who better to ask than than <laughs> uh, because this was advertised very much as a or it was yeah. perceived online as a horse heresy tournament, and it had a little bit more of a I mean. The Horus Heresy has this mantle of being a very uh, narrative-driven game. They're yeah. all narrative, narrative. I'm really narrative. glad, actually, that you've given me the opportunity to speak about it because I bite my tongue so many times when I see these posts and things on. So I've, I've been... The vast majority of the events at Warhammer World are their tournaments, they are, because it's the easiest way to run an event. So they've, mm-hmm. they've run... I think they've run three separate campaign weekends, which are what I would call a true narrative event. Um. And then the rest have all been like Throne of Skulls format, which is still a tournament, but it's soft scores. So your painting and your best game votes have pretty much equal weighting with you with sort of your wins. So it's still a tournament, but but you you the the big hitty, hard, nasty, horrible armies tend not to do very well at them because no one likes playing them, so they don't get any votes. So, so that kind of thing. Um but it's like it's not my issue really. Like so narrative doesn't mean crap. If you excuse my French, it's like uh, if you play Iron Warriors narrative, they will dick on everything they play against because they yeah. they they they're an amazing. They're one of the best anti-tank armies in the game, and it, you tend to find in Heresy if you can kill a tank, you can kill a dude. Um, so yeah, like I, I can see that point, but it's like everyone has. A, I if it's an excuse to play Heresy, I'll play it. I don't care what format it's in. <laughs> I'll play narrative, I'll play tournaments, I'll play whatever, just because but it's my the perception, favorite game system. Sorry, the Absolutely. perception very totally much from... the perception, yeah. Uh, but but for, uh, when I was reading into this, I, I didn't go to the event. Uh, the perception from the outside looking in, this was a cutthroat... Uh, well, it was a tournament designed in that tournament format. Like, it, the, yeah. the, the narrative... It was Swiss pairings, yeah. There, there, was, it, no, there exactly. was no narrative content to it whatsoever, no. So it did feel like the great strength of, of the heresy, the play style, was just completely cut out from looking yeah. from the outside in. But during the course of the weekend, because uh, you did mention before we went on the show that you talked to the uh, organisers of the event, and they yeah. didn't feel like it was a uh, that kind of event at all. It was more narratively led and... Yeah, I, so I think in in I think in um, in sort of, and I'm sort of speaking on their behalf without knowing. But I think in their view, grand tournaments are their sort of there they cutthroat events, and the whole match play thing that caused like furor on online about it that was just a Warhammer community sort of cut and paste job. It wasn't a case there is no <laughs> match, there is no match play play heresy. I mean, heresy itself doesn't work in a competitive environment because, as we all know, th- those of us that love it so much, is that the books aren't balanced against each other. Like there are, no. there are units from book three that still don't have rules, uh, uh, not not <laughs> models, literally rules. Like the Vindicator Laser Destroyer doesn't actually have a gun unless you have the digital version of the rule book, and this thing has never been fixed. You've got things with special rules that don't exist. Furious Assault, which is not a rule, and so. 
yeah, naturally it doesn't fit in that environment. Um, however, like the event I went to, I've been to two competitive, in inverted commas, heresy events, both run by GW. The first one was an out-and-out GT. It was called the Heresy GT. Um, and all the armies there were still narrative armies. Like they all, there was nothing there that didn't make any sense with the exception of all the custode armies. Um, and this one, again, like there were probably 10, what I would call like really nasty lists. And then everything else was just what you'd expect to see on a table at a heresy event. Um, and it certainly didn't feel, the atmosphere there didn't feel competitive, if you get what I mean. Like it's been advertised as that. It was being run like that. But the Harris community just doesn't play it like that. Does that make sense? Or the community yeah, no, that went to that event didn't play it like that. Yeah, it wasn't like a Squid Game-esque affair. Yeah, it was, it was um, don't get me wrong, like the I, I I'm not sure all my opponents would necessarily say that they had positive play experience. I, I took a, a list that wasn't intended to be easy, wasn't intended to be particularly hard. It was more to do with what models I could grab in the four weeks I had to paint it. Um, okay, great. Sorry, that, that's my very next question. Okay, uh, so uh, uh, how did your preparation for this event maybe differ from previous years? And what did you what did you make? What did you paint for this event? So it's never it's never been a problem in the past. So like the whole thing is saying I'm doing a new army. Literally the day after I've been to an event, I'll start planning the next army because yeah, the, we all do that. The points yeah. form, yeah, like you see someone else's stuff, you get inspired by it, you want to do it. So, uh -huh. um, but with this one because it was a reduced ticket numbers. I was like, I wasn't even sure I was going to get a ticket. So as soon as it went up, I got one and I managed to get a ticket. And originally I was going to take my Dark Angels because I'd painted loads of Dark Angel stuff during lockdown that I haven't seen the game yet. Um, <laughs> uh, but I just finished painting um, a Castigator. So I've been playing lots of Adeptus Titanicus and um, I'm doing Ejo Ataris and that and their Night Household, House Kolshak, like I think book three they were in in the heresy no one's ever i'd never seen anyone do those so i was like i'll, I'll paint one of those and uh, and start doing like a night mechanicum type force and then when i got the ticket i was really proud of that and i was like do you know what i'm gonna try and smash out an army of those and get those done in time so i always had the dark angels to fall back on if i didn't get them done in time so the idea of that was i'll do mechanicum because i haven't done a mechanicum army in ages and i've it was a case of whatever models i could order from forge that were in stock which wasn't a lot uh, and yeah. thankfully, like the heresy community up around here, like my friends would, just, it was just like, yeah, just take this, just take this. We'll worry about it afterwards. So like I was given a poor fair on by a friend who just said, paint it. You can either buy it off me or I've got a nicely painted poor fair at the end of it. Oh, um, perfect. Uh, like cast lacks being thrown my way and, and stuff like that. So I managed to sort all the units out and it was just a case of what can I get painted in time? So I wrote a quick list, painted it. I think in three weeks I got it painted. And then once I got it all painted, I thought, right, but just better double check the rules. And then found out the army I'd painted was completely illegal. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to hastily, I had, I had a week left. I had a hasty like repaint to, to get, I had to paint a couple of Moirax up to get some extra heavy support and change from being Legio Cybernetica to um, Auto Reductor. So yeah, my, my army was not a narrative army in any way, shape or form because it didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't like normally I'd start with, this is the theme behind the army. And this was just mm -hmm. whatever I could get done in four weeks. And that would be the army I took. Um, and it's the first time I've done it and I felt kind of dirty doing it, if I'm honest, because it just, 
like you say, it's such a narrative thing. Like every army, every model I've done, every army I've done, I've always done with a story in mind behind it. Whether it's like something I've heard in a, an audio book or something that I've I've read in, a, in in one of the black books. And so you're like, oh yeah, I'll try and do that. This one was just whatever models I could get on the table in time was what I took. Having said that, I mean, looking at your army, looking at the army composition, nothing in there kind of like screams. It's not like you're trying to weld two things together. Yeah. It, 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 all, it all looks natural. It all there's no like repeat. There's no repeat units in there. And that's, that's yeah. not by, that's not necessarily by design. It was more <laughs> a case of, again, what I could get hold of. So there's nothing in there that's equipped the same. There's nothing in there that's, so like there's two Castlax units in there and two Thalax units, but even the Thalax units are different because I had one pack with a multi-melter and one without. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, on the face of it, I think a lot of people psychologically were scared of the poor Theron, but that isn't that wasn't the model that did the heavy lifting in that in that event for me. So um, I think it distracted right. a lot of opponents. The uh, distraction was, con effects. Yeah, yeah, I loved it, loved it. But the um, I think the, the the biggest issue in that situation in that event was um, mis- army mismatches. So I was fortunate. I well, I say fortunate. I was fortunate. Two of the armies I played were complete mismatches to mine and my army was perfectly designed to to pull them down i say design okay, take but... us take us through them what what were the armies that you came up against so the hardest thing i found for the whole event was the first game i got was against demons and the player was absolutely amazing but i had absolutely no idea what anything was it's the first <laughs> time i'd even seen a demon army because like you look at a legion army you know what a model is you know what i mean mm-hmm. that's 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 a Sakaran, that's a heavy support squad, those are quad waters, yeah. that's a Leviathan, whatever. With the demons, there's no like this is the model that you're supposed to use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's base sizes. So I played this guy and he, he was really good. He explained to me what everything was and what everything did. Um, and even actually gave me tips on how to play the against the army. He says, This is this, you basically have to stop it doing this. So I mm-hmm. stopped it doing this and won the game. Um, so I won that game more, more to do with the fact that he helped me out and told me what I'd need to do against it. And <laughs> he I, he got a bit unlucky, really, in that game. So I was like, oh, demons aren't too bad. And then I played demons again in the second thing, which had the almost identical models as the demon I played in the first game, but none of them were the same thing. So right, I had okay. no idea what I was fa- facing again. But, and, um, and that was less enjoyable just because, for want of a better word, the, the units weren't explained as well or as clearly. I actually spoke yeah. to events people about it and they said, yeah, going forward at Heresy events, we're going to ask demon players to, to basically produce a crib sheet with photographs of their models on, say, this is what this model is, mm. so you know what it is. Um, so, yeah. Did, did you, do you know that's, that, that was part of the army design of the demons? Uh, because they, it's such a new thing in the universe burst into it that um, yeah. the, 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 I think it was a new show, the, the writing team, they felt like they wanted that element of surprise yeah, I, well, I, yeah you, 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 your units on the table well, aren't supposed to know what the demons are, but I um, uh, narratively, oh, that's really uh, yeah, yeah. narratively. I think it's super. It? It's, yeah. That's so super cool. The, the common consensus from the people, the other people I was trying to the playing there, that, that the particular demon armies that we were facing weren't particularly fun because they were Nurgle, and I've I've not played a lot. Of, I've not played forty k recently, but I always remember Nurgle were always a difficult army to play just because mm. they were so tough, and then never died and had like, feel no pain and vulnerable saves and things like that. And um, But since coming back from that, I've actually planned a demon army based on saying, good. actually, the guy I played in the first game, he was having a really good time and I was too. So I was yeah. like, well, let's see what I can make from there. So yeah, the um, 
that it was a, it was a, a completely different challenge to play. Um, mm-hmm. But it um, it didn't necessarily feel like a heresy game, if that's what if that makes sense. No, completely. Yeah, but, um, completely. So, so, so that was the the, the demon experience. Um, I know your very last game. I want to leave that till till the end because that does feel like a nice culmination for the weekend. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I guess uh, on the second day, uh, who did you play against first? So, well, on the first day you play three games. So I had one game left to play uh-huh. on the on the first day, which is against a, a really nice guy with his Night Lord army. Um, okay. And so you've seen the composition of my army, so you can see I've got like big, tough Mechanicus stuff, knights yes. and various things like that. Robots and his was like- essentially an all-infantry Night Lord army. It did have a Spartan in it, and it did have a Leviathan in it, but they were the only vehicles in the whole army, um, with Conrad Kurz leading them. And his whole army was built around, we've got, we are, we are the knight, essentially. He was really funny, he kept going, we are the knight. Um, and, and I said, and we have flashlights, that's the problem, so... His army had loads of cover saves and things like that. It was, and it came up against a Mechanicum army where nearly every model is minus two to cover saves um, or, or units that flat out ignore it. So um, he was a really nice guy, but it was, it was over very, very quickly. Um, mm. In fact, we played, we played a second game afterwards because we finished the game so quickly. We reset and oh played again God. for fun. Um, uh, but yeah, that was, it, was, it was just... Um, it, yeah, it, 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 he was a nice guy, but I, I can't imagine that that was his best game of the weekend. <laughs> so, like you say, there's an imbalance there. The, the list is yeah, actually imbalanced. But, but in my experience, that happens at every event, yeah. narrative, whatever. God, yes. Sometimes you just yeah. come up against the, the wrong army. Yeah, this isn't um, chess. Like, yeah, exactly. It happens. So, um, it was, um, it's things like um, the Thanatar fired on the first turn. Um and I also know the 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 hoplites came up and did the hoplite thing and blew up the Spartan. So then the Thanatar fired on the Terminators that had come out of there, and I used Cyberthergy to make it fire twice. Um, and it took Oof, out the, all, took out all ten Terminators, the captain that was with the Terminators, the Primaris um, Apothecary, Primus Medicae, and the the bulk of Kurz's um, Raptor unit that were there as well. So it just, cause they're all bunched together. It just massacred them. And he just, he couldn't roll a four plus for love and the money. So they, they just all dropped. Um, and then that's it. Kurz, he's a prime art, but when he's on his own in front of a lot of guns, he goes down like anyone else. So yeah, it was, a, yeah, it was, it was a mismatch, but it was, it was his army. So that, that was the thing. His army was not a, what I would call a competitive, like cutthroat army. It was a proper narrative. Mm-hmm. Night Lord Army. He just happened to come up against an army that doesn't really care about the dark. <laughs> yeah. Okay, day two. Take us through day that. Two. So day two played the, in, well, the nicest um, looking army that I played um, over the whole weekend. I played a White Scars army, um, game four. Um, and it, it went, it, the game went similar to the Night Lord game because obviously White Scars, it was a White Scar jet bike and Outrider um force um stunningly painted um but it was um it was a case that his jinx and stuff like that were less effective against me and he made a gamble on the first turn and the gamble failed and it just put his his stuff in a bad position so he was like i need to drop one of those knights now so he sent four javelins and like in my experience two javelins will take down a knight 
if you can get it right. And he sent four for it and he got eight penetrating hits on the castigator and I saved every Iron Shield save. So like you can't oh, account for things like that. Brutal. Um, That's brutal. Just in front of the castigate, uh, just in front of the castigator at that point, then was a 10-man outrider squad with his Praetor in. Um, and the castigator just went in and, and tempest bladed the whole lot. So um that was them gone. Uh the hoplites dealt with the, the land speeders pretty quickly. And then the it was just it was just that daft things then. It's like phallax units taking out jet bikes, and it's like they shouldn't be, but they they were. And yeah, that 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 finished quite quickly, but it finished quickly in the sense that I don't want to always use that excuse, but like all my dice were coming up for me and all his dice were coming up Millhouse. So it was like um, <laughs> it was uh, it was but it was it was such a pretty army to play, but I'm gonna be playing him again. Like I've, I've that was the first time I met him, but like we now sort of shared details. He he lives um Newcastle way, so I'm going to drive across one weekend and have a game with my Dark Angels because it was just too to nice an remember, to play. Yeah, do you happen to remember his name or his like Twitter oh, or uh, Instagram? Well, his Twitter, yes, yeah, it's Sector Wargaming is his Instagram because he's. I think his his plan is he's starting up essentially like a a new 30k channel, but it's based in the UK since since David's moved over to. Um, New Zealand, yeah. Uh, New Zealand, um, it's it's picking up there, and like his painting is just phenomenal. So it's just like, well, yeah, he just wants to get some more heresy content out there. So I was like, yeah, I'll I'll happily come Fantastic. over and play with Dark Angels at some point. So um, yeah, it was, it was it was a fun game. He got my best game vote as well, and actually he ended up winning the 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 most uh, the, the best player uh, award for the most best game vote. So um, it was okay. it was nice to see because he had he had a. a Stunning army, and a, and he was playing it like a white scar. Do you know what I mean? He was just balls to the wall. <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> uh, so the last and then, game, uh, and then, yes. so I, I I saw pictures of this on Twitter, and yeah. um, it, it was sort of like the the okay, this is what the tournament was. Like yeah. The, the, uh, okay, like, but but, but take, it, it was a completely unfair assessment. It was like that that snapshot like oh okay this this is what the it's come down to the, this is the um like no frills no context yeah so or, so if you want to get a, like a context for it tables one yeah. two and three so the top three tables on the last last round obviously so they'll be the top six players at that point were top table was seven six knights in a warhand titan with twin turbo lasers um versus nurgle demons uh, table two, which was mine, which was auto reductor with night support versus talons led by Valdor. And then table three was, um, uh, de- was it demons again? I think it may have been demons again versus um, uh, Tagmata. So there were no legion lists in the top 10, I don't think, at that point. Everything was either Mechanicum, talons, or demons. Um, which which I think probably says a lot, but I would also argue that that yeah, there were probably only ten ten or so armies there that were that you would look at and go, oh, they're really competitive. And I'd include mine in that. I didn't set out for it to be that, but I didn't set out for it to be rubbish either. So mm-hmm. um, we actually joked beforehand. Like, this is a competitive event. We've got to make sure we're covered against this, this, and this. There'll be loads of armored breakthrough. There'll be loads of this and this and this. There was no armored breakthrough. There was none of that. And I was just like, wouldn't it be funny if we turned up? We were the only people with competitive armies. So, um, yeah. So I played against Talons. But the thing is, as well, like it can't be considered to be a full-on competitive thing because he didn't have a Talamon and he had three units of sisters and Janitra Kroll. So, 
Um, and actually, after chatting with him, it was a doubles army that him and his friend had done for an event because his his friend just lent him his half for this event. So he took his half and his friend's sister's half and they and, and he did very well with them up until game five. Oh, OK. A little spoiler there. So how did game five go for you? So so I was interested. So my the guy that I went down with, I, I went went to event with two of my friends from Manchester, Neil and his Ultramarines, which are amazing and one best painted. Um, and uh, Matt, oh, and Luke as well, who came with his sons of Horus. Um, and we were, we were all doing reasonably well, but only because we were just sort of joshing off each other of going, oh, we can't be the worst person from Manchester that's going to this. And Matt had played the Talons player the round before or the round before that, and they'd got a tie, they'd got a draw at that point. Um, and Matt, I knew Matt's army on paper, I think, and Matt's a better player than I am. So I was like, if I had to play Matt, Matt would beat me. Um, and he got he had he drew against these this talons and I was like right well I'm gonna I'm gonna struggle against these guys, um, but actually no because I had stuff that Matt didn't have that 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 did a number on the the talons so yeah it was um it was three sisters units Janisha Kroll um, Valdor Heterengard uh, two units so he had the uh, is it he, I've forgotten the name of them the ones with wings the, the ones that don't make any thematic sense but look really cool. No, no, the, the Sagittarium, I like the Sagittarium, they do make sense. The ones with wings, the jetpack ones that don't yeah, have a trip safe. Yeah, I trip the name of them. Venatari, that's it. Venatari. Venatari, he had a unit of those, he had two of the tank, he had one of, he had the two Calidices, one of each type of Calidus tank, um, and a, I want to say, uh, a Contemptor, the one with the spear. Um, but it was... Um, yeah, Valdor didn't refuse to turn up until turn three. So by the time he turned up, the rest of the army was dead. Um, <laughs> so he turned up and he went down to bolt gunfire, as, as ever is the case. Because my, my entire battle plan was, it was the one way you have to get into your opponent's deployment zone, shatter strike. Mm-hmm. So I <clears throat> killed the stuff that was a threat and then ran like mad into his deployment zone. And my plan was Valdor was just to run faster than he did. Because like, if he gets in combat, he's going to win. So... I, I just kept running around and then sent my Castellax to be sacrificial, but they killed him. <laughs> that wasn't the plan, but it, it's the way it went down. So, yeah, I ended up with with four wins and one loss, and I finished fifth place, but joint with third place overall. I lost out on strength of schedule. Um, but it was it was fun. It wasn't the best heresy event I've got to, gone to. It wasn't the worst heresy event I went to. Um, and it, it certainly wasn't the cutthroat competitive environment that I that I kind of thought I was going to be going into mm-hmm. um, the standard of hobby was what you'd expect from a heresy event it was it was massive uh, the, the models yeah the armies there were gorgeous um, they uh, ended up with nine armies nominated for for best army in there so they expanded that out and just they were all absolutely like you just couldn't pick between them like I, I do what I do when I vote for those things is which army would I like to take home with me um, oh, that's a good yeah. way of thinking of it. Yeah, there was there was such um, such variety there. So there was um, there was a, a gorgeous Sons of Horus army in, a, in sort of a green that I hadn't seen anyone paint it with before, and um, a real mixture of, of techniques and styles as well. So there were some that were in um, sort of the the airbrush fade style, but with a nice edge, crisp edge highlighting as well put in there. And then there were some that had been done sort of like gritty and damaged and battle-worn, some that were done what I saw, almost like an heavy metal style. Um, mm-hmm. 
So there's a real mixture of, of different styles and the armies were just stunning that, that, that were in there. So, I mean, I think, I think that always says something about an event is the quality of the, of the hobby that, that's going. Do you, know, do you know what I mean by that? God, yeah. I mean, the horse heresy does very much enjoy that reputation of having a very high overall standard. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and people do seem genuinely interested. You can have as long of a conversation about how you paint your army oh, yeah, as you do absolutely. about the unit composition and how you did during your games. Yeah, um, absolutely. Very much I so. think there was more, there was a lot more hobby talk than there was game talk in that. There was, mm. there, there, there's the obvious. There always this is. is hilarious. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me personally, I would, I would much prefer the Throne of Skull style soft scoring or the narrative event to that. But I would mm-hmm. go to a heresy event regardless of what it is. Well, I say yeah. I would go to heresy. I'd go to a Warhammer World one because um, I've, I've been to all of them. I have been to some some independent ones and some I've loved, some I've not. Um, and a lot of that has come down to the that arbitrary narrative word that, that you used at the yeah. start. Yeah. Because I've, I've had experience of, I've, I've gone to one event where they've banned certain things because they say it's unfair and then there's far worse things that are there. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's what, what is broken is in the eye of the beholder, I think sometimes with, um, with, with gaming. So, um, and certainly with the heresy, I think people have strong opinions over, over what's really good and what's really not. I think a lot of it depends on sort of like how you play and, and how you sort of like, I hate, I hate the word meta, but you know what I mean? The, the <laughs> yes, people that you yeah. play with, mm-hmm. the people you play with kind of drive. So, We've got a, quite a large, strong community up in the northwest um, that that have a lot of toys. So you tend to sort of mm. your army needs to uh, has always been sort of built in a way that I need to be able to counter that toy. Should should I mm. face it? Like, yeah, I need to have something that can kill a glaive before it wipes me off the board, type thing. So, um, so and then you end up playing against people that are in a community where they're very infantry based and stuff like that, and uh, you get those mis- mismatches and stuff. I don't know if that. Yeah, and it's very much perception <laughs> when you when you read new rules as well. They always seem yeah. much worse. Uh, it's only when they hit the table that you start to feel like it, it, it's yeah. Completely agree. Before we started, um, JP did mention something about uh, the train. So this, I guess, what I'm trying to angle towards here is. What did you enjoy about the event? What went well with it? I mean, it, from the sounds of it, overall standard hobby, a really enjoyable environment, Warhammer World. Uh, it, having it centred there is, is a big attraction. But what would yeah, you yeah. do better? What so, could have added that extra polish to it? So the the the, the polish that you get. From, so I, I'm 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 like not gonna, not going to apologise about this at all. I'm I'm a proper GW fanboy. Always have been. Um, Warhammer World as a venue is is phenomenal. The food's really good there. You've got Bugman's, you've got all like the Forge World stores, the shops, you've got the exhibition that you get to go around free when you're at the events there. Um, and then, um, you know, the, the quality of lighting in there, the cabinets where you get to display your models and things look, look phenomenal. Um, the thing that, that Warhammer World has always been criticised on, always, like right back to before heresy events, but it's always been criticised on its, on its terrain. Um, and not necessarily on like the complexity of the terrain, but the amount of terrain that you have on tables. Um, this event was the best by far. And I read online quite a lot that um, there's, oh, there doesn't look to be so much terrain. There's actually three of the games we had to remove terrain because we didn't have enough terrain to place models. Um, right. I think that a lot of the pictures are just saying, yeah, the, the, 
terrain will always be an issue wherever you go, I think, because mm-hmm. Warhammer World's terrain has to survive like everyone playing on it every day, all the time. So it's it's quite sturdy. It's it's quite boxy, if you got what I mean. It's it's mm-hmm. I don't want to say unimaginative because that's a little unfair, but but it's not. It's, you don't get a theme table. It's just generic terrain that will be on every table. That's, that's a few buildings, a few crates, um, a few woods, etc., and things like that. But the, the the amount of it's good, and it's all painted, so that's nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, what the, this is the first time I've been to an event where I'm playing on battle mats instead of realm of battle boards, which I much ah, prefer. Yeah, um, die roll is I've, nicer. I've, I've yeah. well, it's also just models sliding down plastic hills. Yeah, so it's like, they're on the battleboards yeah. when they came out. They're like, "Oh my god, they're so cool!" And then you play on them for about a week, and you go, "Oh, I want a, I want a gaming mat. I want just a flat two by four or whatever." But, um, yeah, um, they something they did this this one. They've not done it events before, which was they they used a third party app called Best Coast Pairings, um, where you reported all your events results and it told you which table to go to that was actually a big improvement because normally you, you stood around trying to wait for the powerpoint thing to flick over to say what table you're on so i found that really bizarre first of all i wouldn't expect gw to use a third party app as their yeah. um, one of their events but it worked really well it was it was really useful because you could you could see what table you were on essentially so a lot easier i wasn't really bothered about it from the standings or who you might play it's just it told you where you were going to play and you can look up each of the, uh, your, your opponent's lists so you you can click on it That's and just amazing. see what you're going to play. Um, so I really like that. Um, but the list format thing wasn't great because it was literally a cut and paste text box thing. So I put mine in, which was taken off quarter. Like I built my army list through Quartermaster, um, copied and pasted from there. But Quartermaster doesn't always include all the options that are on the models. So my my army list was on there, but was missing most of the upgrades on things because it just doesn't show on Quartermaster that you've got them. It shows it in the points, but doesn't show it in the uh, in the list. So that's something to work on, but it's not there. That thing. Um, round times are fine. What would I do differently? Um, I think the only thing it's not a criticism because it's something I like about it, but I can imagine for people that are going there for like the first time or people that aren't massively outgoing do you know what i mean um it's yes we all know what you mean there ben yeah <laughs> we're, we're um, all being involved in the yeah. hobby we're all insular um, people <laughs> yeah yeah so it, it 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 can be quite impersonal if you get what i mean there's no sort of like there's no areas to go and sit and relax as much because you've got um i, I don't know if it sounds like the general public because it's a, a it's an open place you've got people coming in and out all the time and um there's not really anywhere to just go and sit and chill in between rounds and stuff like that because the Bugman's is already filled with people playing games or, um, or, or having the lunch or whatever. So mm-hmm. that sense, it's a bit like I played, um, I played an event at Holmforth gaming center, which is in the North, well, North middle really between Lancashire and Yorkshire. I think it's in Yorkshire. That's an amazing venue for an event because it's got like sofas and stuff you can go and chill on. But the only people that are going to be in there are the people at the event. Um, so it's like it's a double-edged sword you get all the majesty of being at warhammer world but it loses some of that sort of closeness i would say that you'd get from a a smaller independent event best Um, venue in the world remains the schaumburg renaissance hotel in uh, in lovely (laughs) illinois uh for all those that go to adepticon every year but um 
A Warhammer Worlds, one, absolutely. One day, one day, I would love to get across to Adepticon. Well, uh, yeah. uh, my dream was was to go to Warhammer World, and I got to actually uh, live my dream a few years ago in the last <laughs> the last weekender. Um, yeah. It was awesome, but I understand that's, what you mean. That's it's, the event I miss more than anything else is the weekender. Same. Yeah, I, I get what you mean, though. There's not a lot of spaces to sit if if you can't get a a seat at Bugman's. Um, it it yeah. really is. Um, uh, the, the, it's like there's no there's nothing in the in between. Uh, you know the the game spaces and yeah, and, yeah. And, and sitting at Bugman's is like there's no like chill space where you just you know sit down and no no crack no, a drink. There isn't. Um, and and there's always people trying to sell you stuff. That's the other thing. And the problem is, well, is yeah. you're at a heresy event. So, <laughs> and and know, this yeah. is stuff you want to buy. That's the problem. It's this is, yeah, this is literally it's, the first <laughs> event I've gone to where I've only bought one thing and it wasn't exactly. even a model. I bought a, I bought a mega blast template. <laughs> Yo, go, going to Warhammer World is, right is like a crackhead going to a crack convention. It's just like, well, fuck. Yeah. First this time I've ever been right to contactless payment in a 412 shop. Yeah. It's gone up to £100 as well, which makes yeah, it worse. Yeah, Oof. So, yeah. yeah. I I I have another question for you, um, yes. and this might be a little bit more, more theoretical, but I, I I really enjoy the conversation. We haven't talked about competitive, um, whether or not you want to cons- you know like consider the event competitive or not. Clearly, there was a little bit of competition going on, uh, and we haven't really talked about it on the show for a while. And and since right now, um, if if our instincts, if the rumors are correct, we might be shifting to uh, a new edition soon. We all hope that we will. Um, and I was wondering, considering your experience at this event, in particular, the fact that um, uh, all the top tables, uh, all the final tables, um, um, none of them were Marines. Uh, um, I'm wondering what kind of rebalancing do you think um, is necessary going forward? Uh, so consider- considering your experience. Yeah. So I actually think if I'd have taken Iron Warriors or my Dark Angels, I'd have done better at that event than I did with the Mechanicum. And I think that's probably due to the fact that I know how to use those armies better. Do you know what I mean? I've got a lot more experience playing with legions than I have with playing with an army I've thrown together in a few weeks. Um, I don't think necessarily it's it's a rebalancing issue. Like I think it's it's a really tricky one because there are certain armies that I'm not sure should even necessarily exist as an army in Heresy. Does that make sense? Like Ooh, I'm like not what? sure that. Like, I don't think talons should exist as an army. I think talons should be something that Imperium yep. armies can bring in, like an Imperium. And don't get me wrong, I own a custode army. I absolutely love custodies. I love Sisters of Silence. Um, and actually, I'd feel probably feel a lot, lot less strong about this if the Sisters of Silence stuff in Book 7 actually existed as models. Um, mm, yeah. But um, I don't think that, that that should exist as an army in Heresy. I don't... I think I think it's better off as being like an imperial agent type thing. Um, mm. uh, the we were we were actually talking about this about whether we thought that necessarily demons um, demons should exist as an army. It's a different style approach brings people in, but certainly the current state heresy is in. I mean, for God's sake, it, in in the book itself, it's got a box out that says you can break this army essentially if you're not careful. Um, yeah. So it's. I will always defend any of events that I go to and enjoy. Um, and I've, 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 I've thoroughly enjoyed that event as I do, but it's the event. It, how, do, how do you de- define whether the event was a success? Was it a success because it was a good event? Was it a success because it was good people going to the event? That's the, that's the thing that's always mm, a difficult thing. Yeah. Like all the people I played 
were great guys. It was great people. All the people that I was chatting to, I mean, I met loads of new people at this one and you do at every event. And contrary to the things that are spouted around on social media, I think the Heritage community is the best. It, it just flat is. I've played, I've played every game system GW have ever done, but the, the, the home I found is Heresy. Does that make sense to you? Like, oh God, we run a podcast centered on the podcast. I know, I, I know, God, I know, absolutely. I know. Yeah. But the thing is, is like, but yeah, that there are, pardon my friend, there are shitty people in every area of the hobby. And there might be <laughs> more of them that have voc- uh, that vocalize it on social media, but they are a fraction. They are a fraction of this community. And the heresy community is awesome. And every event I've gone to has reaffirmed that every time, even when you're playing sort of in a format that the game isn't designed for, even the people, the guy that won the event, Billy, who won the event, he took six nights and, uh, and a, a Warhound and he got best game votes. He had people that loved playing against him. He's one of the nicest guys I've met at an event. And like, it's not, it's not the list, it's the player, isn't it, at the end of the day? And um, yeah. so, yeah, there's, there's balance issues across heresy. I don't think there's balance issues necessarily. I just think for this event, um, because it was reduced numbers, like it's, it's it, normally you'd have 100 plus people at a heresy event at Warhammer World. This one was capped at 42. So it was a case of who got tickets and who didn't. Um, me and Matt both took Mechanicum armies because we wanted to take something that we hadn't played with before, but we're both Legion players and both agreed that we'd do better with our Legion armies than we did with our Mechanicum. And Matt finished third. So um, certainly against the Demons, my Dark Angels would have done better and Iron Warriors do better against everything. So <laughs> um, This is accurate. That's I, an accurate statement. <laughs> no, I, 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 there are, obviously, there's, there's loads of stuff. Like, you, you've been playing this game long enough you run you run a podcast there's there's things in in heresy that that make no make no sense at all uh to take and there's things that need sorting out and there's things that are, but you get that in every game system I, I i don't think the demons are broken i think the demons are new and we've not had enough experience if you think we've been playing heresy what 2012 2008 whenever i can't remember when it started now uh um, yeah, so started in 2012, but we've had demons essentially as an army. If you take lockdown and stuff out of it for for a couple of years tops, um, uh, and we we've got some like four drill miniatures for those, but most of it is is unknown. Um, and certainly, like looking through their their rules, that they yeah they they can be tough as every army can be tough, but I think they can be incredibly fun to play with as well. Um, particularly if you play some of the demon missions and things. So no, I don't, I don't think there's a, a massive imbalance other than the power of like talons and, you know, Magnus pre-nerf and stuff like that. So um, yeah, this, 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 I think, I think if we get a new edition, I mean, if that wasn't just a fake image, I would, I would like to think that there's a bit more balance in there, but um, no, I don't, I don't think demons are too, too horrific and Mechanicum are too horrific. It's just a case of things that, it's experience, isn't it? I'm waffling again. <laughs> the experience <laughs> of playing against different things. Like you, most people have legions, so you're used to playing against legions. Mechanic can play in a different way. Solar are the same. Solar can be really hard to play against because mm-hmm. they've got yeah. a completely different way of playing. Haven't they? Yeah, I don't they're, know if I've answered your question or just I mean, I mean, rubbish. I think I think that's totally fair. I I just love your 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 discussion of demons. Because narratively, that's exactly what they were going for. But in a yeah. competitive environment, that sucks. <laughs> like narratively, like, you're playing. not supposed to know what it is. You're not. Yeah, this this you is new. Game, that could be so frustrating. You just turn up for a game, and like you said, they got practically the same miniatures, but they do completely different things. Yeah, that, yeah. that 
if you're not prepared for yeah, that, but imagine you're a legionary. Imagine you're a legionary a year or two into the to the horse heresy, and you're facing um uh these 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 demons and you don't know what they're doing and the last time so, you faced them they did something different narratively it's great narratively, one thing we all one thing that all of us agreed that would make heresy better is not necessarily a tweak of the rules or a tweak of the things it's a tweak of the missions the fundamental issue mm, i think yeah. that heresy's got is that apart from one mission they're all scored in the final turn so if you can gun your opponent off the board before the final turn it doesn't matter what the army composition is because you'll win. Yeah. Whereas, I hate like, War of Lies. I, Just get rid of War of Lies. I will. See, I'm so happy. I like. I like War of Lies. For oh its God, it's the same. worst. <laughs> but this. This is why I like. It. I like it for its randomness. I like it for the fact that you. You. You can be trailing the game massively, and you can go for broke and end up with a really good roll, or you can actually lose the game on the objectives. That was incidentally. That was the one mission that we didn't play from the book, so I didn't put War of Lies in. Um, because yeah, everybody the, hates it. It's awful. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Maybe I'm secretly chaos. Oh, I like the chaos of it. But no, the um, the yeah, I think missions is how you Like, I I don't play ninth or eighth ed forty k. I that's not for me. But one thing that it does do really well is its missions. From everyone I speak to, the missions are really good because there's like primaries and secondaries, and you get to choose your secondaries before games. And this is something that's kind of eking in with the demons. So I don't know how much you've read of the list, but. Like you, 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 you basically when you build your, your demon list, you can be one of six armies. So you've got the undivided army, which is like all of chaos, um, and then you've got obviously your corn, your zinch, your nurgle, your um, other one, Sanesh. Um, and then you've got Malal, which is just the great. So this is the demon army I'm planning because it just looks so much fun to play. Oh, oh God. So they, can this, I, can, can I just ask you real quick what, what your uh, Miles going to try to shut <laughs> Miles going to try to shut me up? <laughs> Because I love Malal. Uh, aesthetically, what do you, where do you want to go? Are you going to use some of those? Um, like, uh, uh, the old hook horrors, for example, like the old like uh, Malal models. No, actually, like, I am them? going completely out of left field on this army. Oh, so I'm using I'm using the demon rules and I'm using Malal because it's anti chaos. But I am doing the force of summoned legionaries from Isfan from Master of Mankind. So I'm my oh, demon. Awesome. My, my demon. My demon lord is going to be. So I'm going to do it like a proto legion, the Damdar. So you can take possessed marines. So my possessed marines are going to be Iron Hands tactical marines, but with like flame emitting from cracks in the armor and stuff like that. Um, and then the lesser demons are going to be fire elementals. I'm using um, spirit hosts from fantasy coming out of dead marines on the floor. So it's like their souls escaping. And then I'm gonna have oh, like reanimated dreadnoughts to be the beasts and stuff. Um, that's so that's awesome. Also, so the iron hands, that, the, the aesthetic of the iron hands, the black and white fits yes. perfectly with Malal. Brilliant. So love it. But there's that. But the reason I like Malal, so the demons, they they instead of playing the primary mission, they can use the demon mission. Um, so it's so they can be playing a completely different set of objectives to their opponent. Um, and the Malal one is they win the game if they end on zero victory points. But they gain a victory point for every enemy unit they destroy, but they lose a victory point for every every unit they've got that dies. So you've got to try and balance it, that you lose exactly the same number of units that you kill to win the game. That's the only way you can win. I was like, how fun is that in a game situation? It's like, I don't care if you've beaten me up as long as I've beaten you just the right amount. Um, so I like that. I'd, I'd, I'd like the idea that... that um, that we can have different missions. I think that'd be good. Like one of the things they did for the early heresy events at Warhammer World is they made uh, tactical objective cards. So we had decks of tactical objective cards, which meant you were scoring every turn, which made it a lot more about the whole game as opposed to 
the power you can put down on the first couple of turns. You know, you've seen that across the game systems. In Necromunda, they do that. They, they build yeah. in different... So even if you're getting plastered by your opponent, yeah. you can still get something from the game. If I was a betting man, I'd say that's going to be a, a, a big part of a, of a new version. Is that the yeah? I can see that a massive overhaul of, of like the scoring and 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 mission types, and it also because obviously there's the, the I don't know how much of rumors we talk about, and how many, one of the rumors I've heard is that black books are gone, and we're going to get books like Adeptus Titanicus, so you'll get like one every quarter, which means you yeah, can have same. like mini campaigns, which would be that feeds the narrative again, but also brings in new like mission types every time, doesn't it? So lots of different ways to play it. I like the idea of that. Same, yeah. I, I, I think. Well, I mean, we've. Th- this is like an off-travelled road uh, that we talked <laughs> about here. I, I like the. I, I like the idea of the regular input, but I think we all agree the black book format is so cherished by community. It would be sad to see that go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, even but, if it's a case that when they finally get to the siege, that they bring out a tenth book just as a sort of like, and when we do the siege, we'll bring out a black book for that. That, that so would that's be nice. A complete mistake. Yeah. I just feel yeah. that, like, uh, however cherished those books are to the community, supply chains don't lie. <laughs> no, and no. they're also an absolute... So I, for this event here, I had to take just colour photocopies because otherwise I would have had to take three black books, two red books, and the rule book with me. And I'm like, that's too much books to carry to an event. <laughs> uh, yeah, very much so. Okay, uh, so we've covered Malal, Iron Warriors. Uh, ben, do you want to become the new uh, host of the podcast? I feel like I'm being ousted here. <laughs> between between JP Darren, uh, yeah, there's going to be a love in here. <laughs> ben, everybody so- loves Iron Warriors and Malal. I mean, who doesn't love these things? It's like saying it's like saying you don't love nachos. Everybody loves nachos. Everybody loves like Iron Warriors and Malal. <laughs> if we've had this discussion before. Only heresy hipsters go for Malal in their collections. But anyway, <laughs> Ben. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. And, I really uh, and appreciate taking it. Us no, it's fun. Thanks for having me on. And I'm sorry for waffling so much about no, ben, uh, g- Give us your Instagram and, and Twitter information again so we can uh, all yeah, follow you. So Instagram, I'm Heresy Junkie um, uh, or Ben Greaves. I think they'll both come up as that. Um, and uh, no, did I say Instagram? That's Twitter. And then Instagram is just Ben Greaves or is it Benjamin okay. Greaves? I don't, I can't remember. It's one of the two. Just type Greaves and Ben in there and hopefully it'll come up with me. Follow um, everybody called Benjamin, Ben, any conversation. <laughs> so my, follow my, the lot. my Instagram is a private account. So ah, um, okay. you have to ask. So that's, no, that's fine. Like I, I, I don't mind allowing followers. It's just to check. I'm a primary school teacher. So I, on my, on my Instagram, I also put like, my stories it's like my family stuff with my son so like i i have to check on there that it's not kids from my school that are that are following me it's hobbyist people so usually i can just check and see if they're followed by people i know in the community then or they've got something hobby related in their their name or thing i'm just like yeah that's fine but if i think they might be someone that i teach then i don't let them in and then twitter i literally only put hobby on hobby on there so i'm not bothered about anyone following that that's where i follow you on on twitter yeah ben thank you so much again no right thank you very much we will get on to the next segment next. Also, all hail the hierarch of anarchy and terror, Malal. <laughs> Welcome back. So we are going to look at the first exemplary battles of the Age of Darkness from the Warhammer community site, the Battle of Pluto, Hydra's Devastation. Now, this is not brand new. Um, 
like all the exemplary battles we've seen so far, this has actually been mentioned previously. And this was one of the John French novels, uh, Praetorian of Dawn, which was very well received. We particularly liked it as a podcast, if I remember rightly. Hmm. But like a lot of the Forge World black books, um, which deal with the same subject matter as black library novels this one goes into greater depth and it's more focusing on the general battle whereas Praetorian of Dawn uh, dealt more with Dawn murdering Alpharius I, I think that's a fair way to put it across so what do you what was your guys initial impression of this campaign what, what do you kind of think and then we'll kind of delve into the the lore before we actually discuss the Huskars and the missions because the missions are quite intriguing uh, I the missions freaking are really loved Sorry. it Sorry, I, just uh, as like a, a brief. So the law was good; it made sense. It was like a little snippet, this brief window of history that you get to explore. That I think this game does better than any other game system in Games Workshop's range. Like that tiny snippet, that tiny window of opportunity that they explored. Uh, I thought the law was great. I thought the rules for the Huskals were good. They added flavor to Imperial Fist without completely unbalancing them. It's not like an auto win, auto take unit. It's a nice, fluffy addition to uh, your army list. Yeah, really love this supplement. And it's um, hopefully more to come along this vein. I think it was so... Because this came out, what, in August? Or early Ooh. September? August, September time, yeah. wasn't it, I think? Yeah. I, I mean, it, I think it was just so important to for the community um, to feel like, <laughs> you know, there was something. Um, it's been, you know, it, we all know that this is not uh, Games Workshop's flagship product. So um, the knowledge that, you know, there, that there was some content coming out was exciting just for being content. Uh, but generally speaking, I love the I love all of these. So we're going to go through them uh, one by one. But um, um, I, I think it was well put together. It's 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 nice and polished just for having content. <laughs> Uh, goes to show how how damaged we all are that just having content uh, uh, makes us feel seen. <laughs> yeah, well, how pathetically well grateful we are. Yeah, it is a well put together document, though, isn't it? It's not like some forty k FAQs which just look like being typed up in Word and put into a um, PDF. This Ooh. is the same kind of stylistic uh, or style as um, the Black Books. You know, we've got the borders, the, the Writing is the same. The unit profiles are identical to what we see in the Black Books. So considering this is free, there's been a lot of hours put into it. Mm. Yeah, it's well written as well. The, the history, yep. it's, it's not slapped together. No, it, the quality is as good as we see in some of the campaign books, isn't it? Some of the Black yep. Books. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I mean, personally, I'm... I'm quite tempted when they're all out finally all out i'm quite tempted to print them all out and put them in a binder so they're quite a little bit more accessible but that's just a personal thing this seems to be like most of the black books where the uh um well not most but a, a lot of the black books where they take something that we've learned from the black library series and uh they've turned into i guess fake history uh do you guys notice anything uh different or uh, or is this really just praetorian of dawn yeah so run up to praetorian of dawn uh, that yeah, final scene. It, it's the wider action, isn't it? It's it's putting the main context why the Alpha Legion are there into a bigger picture of what they're um 
trying to achieve with the assault on Hydra. Uh, because Hydra itself, it's not an accident that the Alpha Legion are there, is there? Um, part of it is to do with testing Sol's defences to see how well um, the Seventh Legion and Dawn have prepared the Sol system for assault. Some of it is kind of picking out the point that the traitors are on the way is another factor. Uh, it comes under that kind of wider heading of harrowing action that the Alpha Legion do perform quite frequently, but we often don't hear about it. We often see about their kind of special ops operations like we see in the novel Legion, but we don't often, often deal with their harrowing actions where they're actually making a purposeful strike on certain key strategic locations. Yeah, it, it's, it's wider context and actually picks out areas that aren't mentioned in the novel Praetorian Dawn that then spiral out to become a wider missions in the second half of the campaign, don't they? I mean, it all focuses on the planet Hydra, and Hydra is one of Pluto's moons. And the reason they're going for Hydra is because it's a key astropathic monitoring station. So, obviously, if the Alpha Legion or the traitors are able to neutralise that, it will weaken more early warning systems for when the traitor fleet arrives. Although, let's be honest, when we read the novel um, Solar War, there is no way the traitors could have hidden that fleet coming anyway, is no. there? Dude, they, so, they, they hooked a space hulk at, <laughs> at, 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 at Uranus. <laughs> There's no way. Um, I don't know. Uh, uh, that's the only issue I have with uh, Praetorian of Dorne. It just seems like I don't see the goal here. And that's why I don't think uh, one of the main reasons I don't think Alpharius is dead. I think that the Black Library uh, writers like Alpharius too much and that they also love you know having plots within plots and schemes within schemes and um, I don't know I feel like there's something there's something there that we haven't seen it, it just doesn't seem like a very useful use of resources You're a conspiracy theorist yeah oh yeah um, <laughs> the battle of Pluto was uh, was an inside job is what I'm saying it's a false flag operation. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> Let's focus on what the law's saying. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, you don't have to agree with me. What? I'm not. So, <laughs> um, what I did like in, in kind of the, the law section of this is where they're picking out the specialist Alpha Legion units, like the Learning and Terminators and the, the Headhunter units, and they're talking about how they're using those in the missions and how they're using like the headhunters to effectively do spear tips, take out officers, take out key command centers. And the Lernians are just laying waste to certain areas. Um, there's some really nice descriptions and bits in here. There's, there, you, get, you do get a good impression of the Alpha Legion at war, which as I mentioned earlier, we don't often see, do we? We, we get a lot of descriptions of the Alpha Legion doing their dodgy side operations, but we don't often get them talking so much about a full offensive of the Legion. And what's interesting as well, a bit like we see with Praetorian Dawn, is it does catch the defenders off guard. They're not expecting it. And they do, yeah. the Alpha Legion do carve quite a deep way into the defences before the Loyalists really respond. Well, they're taking advantage of the fact that they've been, you know, they're doing Alpha Legion stuff and uh, they've been uh, creating networks of, of spies, which we also see in this, uh, the Siege of Terra series, right? Um, uh, they, they have networks of spies all over the solar system and they activate a bunch of, of 
uh, a number of them uh, during this campaign. Again, which doesn't seem like a very good use of resources, but what do, what do I know? I mean, there are a few things in there that kind of do point out that the Imperial Fists are completely shocked by this as well. If they do, if you are thinking it's a false flag. So you do have this uh, sacrifice of the Imperial Fist cruiser. So once they hear about Hydra being under attack, they burn at top speed towards the Alpha Legion fleet, ram the, the, their cruiser into the middle of the Alpha Legion fleet, but drop all their Astartes off onto Hydra as reinforcements before the ship breaks down. So that, you know, the sacrifice in a vessel when they need every ship they can get with the incoming trade fleet, I'm not buying a conspiracy theory, but it does point out that the Imperial Fists are reacting quite quickly to things. So if this is an operation by the Alpha Legion just to test defences, it's doing a good job at seeing how the Imperial Fists would be reacting to certain events and certain actions. Yeah, but you know how conspiracy theories function. The more evidence against the conspiracy, uh, it's just more evidence that the conspiracy is really good. Like it's a really good conspiracy, right? Um, (laughs) um, Yeah, they probably didn't need to lose that cruiser. I I just don't see. I think this is uh, this is like incredibly well written. I I really like it. Um, I I just think that uh, strategically, I don't see what how useful this was. Um, But you know. The Alpha Legion are arrogant and and um, they 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 think they're smarter than everybody else. And um, um, I'm I'm I can only assume that Alpharius really thought that this was going to be uh, his way of showing how much smarter he was than everybody else uh, uh, on the trader side. And he turned out to possibly maybe was killed or possibly someone else was killed. Someone was killed. Well, what? One of the things they do mention in this or suggest in the law is the um, the Huskals and the Centurion that's leading them hold the Alpha Legion up long enough for the Flanax to arrive. So, you know, if, if you follow that kind of thinking, then the only reason Alpharis did die is because they were held up too long in the initial events, in, in the initial part of the campaign. But, you know, we'll, we'll let the listeners decide We'll let the listeners uh, disagree with me um, in the comments. I mean, to be fair, we have to respect your stubbornness that he is alive, despite all the evidence to the contrary. He's a billion percent dead. Let's move on. Yeah. (laughs) Let's talk about Huskar rules. Because they're intriguing, aren't they? They're intriguing. For a first rule drop, um, they, they, I like them because they're not overly powerful but they do fill some gaps and they offer up possibilities for future units as well so do we want to talk through the specifics for them yeah you'll at least give us an overview of them yeah i think one of the most intriguing things is the hq so Mm. that offers up some very interesting possibilities at low point games which as we'll see later in the campaign when there's zn games you generally have low points so the fact that HQs means you don't actually have to have something like a Centurion or a Praetor. You could take a Huskar squad as your Warlord choice. Can you? I thought it just counted as a Legion uh, Command squad. No. Oh, they shit. Can That's be excellent. In, they can be chosen instead of huh. a Legion Command squad, but they are a 0-1 wow. HQ squad. So wow. the way I'm reading it, 
Yeah, because what their special one of their special rules is favor of dawn, and a Hisco squad may be chosen instead of the Legion Command squad as a retinue for any model. Oh, but there's nothing on the rest of the rules that preempt them being your only HQ squad. So if you're doing something like a Zone Mortalis game and you don't want to have a Centurion or a Praetor or whatever other character model you want, you could choose your Huskar squad as your HQ choice from the way I'm reading it. Do they get a don't forget, trait? Well, if you're playing 500 points or less in Zone Mortalis, you don't get a Warlord trait anyway. And um, you argue, I mean, the Huskar Warden, who is their sergeant equivalent, is a character model. So would he get a Warlord trait? But he can't use leave the unit. So he starts with a Warlord trait would be tied to the Huskar. The rules lawyers out there can argue that one. Um, personally, I think in my gaming group, or certainly people I would play with, would quite happily let this be a full-on HQ choice. I mean, that'd be awesome. That, so different to anything else we've seen so far. Yeah, that would be a really yes. cool addition. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly, I mean, because they're Praetorian, the Favour of the Dawn rule is the same as the Jesterian retinue rule, where they can be chosen as a command squad instead of a normal option choice. And we know there's other units which have similar rules as well. So, yeah, it says maybe chosen instead of Legion command squad, but it's, yeah, it's certainly the way I read it anyway. So you can take them either as a HQ or as a Legion, in replacement Legion command squad. Question, why couldn't you take a Legion Command Squad then uh, as an HQ? What stops you from doing that? Because they're specifically retinue, so you have to take them with a character. Oh, and they're not retinue. No. Fascinating. I, I did not notice this. I just kind it's of subtle, assumed... isn't it? It's one... Yeah, it's a subtle one. It's kind of tucked away. But yeah. Huh. Yeah, so... that's, that's incredible. That's a... Yeah, low, point, uh, low points game. That's, that's incredible. Yeah, and also to get the points for that unit kill, you have to kill at least five Terminators, which is always a challenge, especially when they have the equipment that these ones have. So you they, get they, they, they only base. have one wound. I, I should know they only have one wound. Um, oh, I would have thought to the, two. Oh no, Terminators with one wound thing. You're I just think... all jealous of just staring and fire drakes. That's for problem. I think all Terminators should have two wounds, anyways. Uh, they only well, have yes, one wound. So Weapon skill five, but outside of that, uh, standard Terminator stat line. Um, yeah, but they are in cataphracty plate and they do have a storm shield, so they're going to get a three plus invulnerable. So they've got a two plus armor and a three plus invulnerable. You know, they're going to be tough to take down, aren't they? Let's face yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, especially in a low points game. If you do select those as your HQ choice in a low points game, there's not going to be much punching through a two plus three plus invulnerable save, is there? Let's be honest. Um, They've got teleportation transponders, so you can deep strike them. They can have any type of power weapon. So, you know, if you want to customize your models, I'm sure Miles in a bit is going to talk about how we can actually model those, but that, that opens up some nice interesting options. Um, and of course, you can upgrade them to the typical Imperial Fist Solarite Power Gauntlet for not many points 10 points each so you know that's that's a pretty good piece of war gear stubborn so you're not modifying their leadership in close combat implacable advance they're scoring units as well and they have a shield wall rule which is the same as the um what's their special what's the iron what's the imperial fists breacher unit specialist breacher unit fuck don't know 
Flanagan's Waters. Phalanx, yeah, Flanagan's, that's it. Phalanx Warner. Uh, Flanagan's Waters. So the shield wall rule is the same as the Flanagan's Waters. So if any unengaged model in this unit, if any unengaged model with this special rule has at least three models remaining in its unit, it gets a bonus of plus one to its weapon skill when it's being charged by the enemy. Um, so they got to weapon skill six. Which, you know, when you're fighting other Astartes, isn't a huge advantage, but you are going to hit back at the enemy fairly more, a lot easier, particularly against other Terminators or, or elite combat units, because you're likely to be hitting them on threes and they're going to hit, be hitting you on fours. So, you know, that could make the difference. Um, they're not bad, though, are they? Overall, you know, they, they have in, their place. They have implacable advance is huge. Implacable advance is huge, especially for an HQ unit. That's incredible. Yeah, especially if you're using them in low-point games, because you're not going to have that many scoring yeah. units otherwise. So, you know, to have another unit which is scoring, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take that. Yeah. I mean, what what do you guys think about them as a unit? And the, I, I think they're great Terminators. Um, they are definitely great elite Terminators. I will once again underline uh, that I think all Terminators should have two wounds. But anyways, um, two seventy five points, uh, not too expensive. They're cheaper than Tyrants. Everything's um, cheaper than Tyrants. Yeah, well, what are you gonna do? I, I, I think they're great, and I really salute, uh, again, um, Games Workshop for actually uh, putting out a supplement with a, uh, with a new unit. You know, it, it's, it's really fun to have these. It gives you something to, uh, at, like, narratively, it gives you something uh, to think about uh, to, to, to potentially plan a conversion around, which we'll talk about in a moment. But I think they're really good. Uh, there, there's a couple, like, uh, small things. Again, uh, Implacable Advance, which is huge. Uh, the teleportation transponder, uh, which can be incredibly useful. Yeah, I, 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 th I think it's a good unit. It's not a game-breaking unit, but I think it's a generally good unit. And, and, and uh, since you pointed out that it can be taken as an HQ, and I don't see any reason why you couldn't. Uh, low points game, Zomortalis, these guys are amazing. But of course, Imperial mm -hmm. Fists are always good in Zomortalis. As they should be. As what do you think, Miles? Yeah, really like them. Uh, they're not overpowering. They they don't feel like there's uh, it's sort of like somebody's fantasy to put in this ultra awesome unit uh, that completely blows everything else away. It's a nice addition. Uh, that's that's what I love to see about these small free supplements, things that add to the game, not completely overwhelm what's already there. Yeah, that's a good summary, isn't it? Let's talk about the missions because I liked yes. the missions in here, and I really like the fact there's Zomortalis missions as well, because I love a good Zomortalis game. Um, that's why I've just built my Iron Warriors. Um, so anything that adds to Zomortalis, once again, it's a different style of play, and potentially you could play this campaign with a friend over a weekend or even a day, because they're only Zomortalis missions. They're not going to take particularly long to play through. So you could do a mission pack in, a, in an entire... Well, at least a day if you, well, you want to take your time over a weekend or you could put them into a larger campaign like if you were using the Framas system the conquest system and if you don't have imperial fists or iron warriors you could adapt the rules and make them fit with your own campaigns as well so um let's deal with mission one spear in the void so this represents the alpha legion making their initial um 
teleportation assaults and boredom assaults onto Hydra's bases. And it's a relatively straightforward mission, this one, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, it's straightforward. Um, I, I think the, the main thing is the deployment. Um, yeah. So you, like, uh, you, so you have your standard um, 48 by 48 table, uh, table for uh, Zomortalis, and you split it up into like four deployment zones. Yeah, so it's split four uh, well into four long rectangular sections, isn't it? Each, each one's the width of the board and twelve inches deep, and they're numbered in sequentially one to four. Um, the attacker and defender splits their units into two equal sized groups based on their number of units, so not done by points, done by number of units. Um, and then each player des uh, designates one of the groups they have as spearhead and one as a reserve. And then the attacker chooses either deployment zone one or deployment zone four. So they're right on the edges. So they're your traditional deployment zones. Up till now, it's all fairly standard standard zone mortalis. The, what, the advantage the attacker does have though is before they deploy, once they've chosen their deployment zone, they get to rearrange their terrain in that area to represent they've selected the area to um, kind of breach into, if we want to use that term. Yeah. The difference is for defenders, though, isn't it? Yeah, the defenders, well, defenders, you, you know, they have to kill the enemy. <laughs> um, but slightly different in how they deploy as well. So they roll a d6. <laughs> Uh, on a one to four, they get to choose any of one of the three or any of the three remaining uh, deployment zones to place their uh, first set of units in. On a five or six, they have to go into the opposite board edge. So potentially, you could start the game less than three or four inches apart from each other potentially what i also like is the defenders all deploy using the enemy unknown optional special rules so that's when you don't reveal a unit until it's in line of sight of the enemy uh, and at that point you're just using like a blip token or something to represent it so you could be thinking uh, i'll be able to handle what whatever comes around that corner and then it turns out to be something like uh, i don't know a um a dreadnought or a battle automata or something like that so that always adds a nice edge. Always reminds me of Space Hulk. It's all, you know, little things like that. Always lovely to, re to remind you of uh, the joys of playing Space Hulk when I was younger. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really like that addition. And then the con victory conditions, the attacker gains two victory points for each friendly unit that's within the opposite deployment zone. And one victory point for each friendly unit that's within the deployment zone that's adjacent to that. Uh, the defender just gets victory points for murdering its opponents. So nice and straightforward for those. I think it's fun. Like uh, the, the the attacker essentially just have to plow through um, and 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 try to make it as far as far as he can. Um, nice and bare bones. Uh, I love. Um, I love the use of a lot of the Zomortalis rules that we tend to forget about. I, I, I totally forgot about Enemy Unknown before I read this. Yeah, it's it's an optional rule in most Zomortalis games, so you don't actually see it very often, um, which is, I think, is a shame. I think it's uh, a lot more fun than deploying, obviously, what, what's around, what's 
right in front of you. I think Enemy Unknown just adds that extra edge because you're always concerned, is that going to be a unit I can deal with or is that going to just murder me as soon as I turn around the corner? So anything that adds an extra tension, particularly when you're using uh, such low point games, you know, you want to make the most of the game and make the experience as enjoyable as possible, in my opinion, anyway. Excellent. So let's go on to mission two. Yeah, so mission two kind of represents that one the Alpha Legion have breached and they're now trying to carry out their next objective. Um, and they're trying to destroy the reactors. That's where we're heading for in this next one. The Alpha Legion have got their clear um, objective to reach and the defenders are trying to prevent them from doing that. Very clearly, it says as if it's part of a campaign, then um, if the Alpha Legion won the last game, they're now the attackers. Uh, and if they lose, they become the defenders. So it follows that very, very simple kind of, of a linear campaign that a lot of the Zomortalis ones kind mm. of build on. Um, but, you know, who says a campaign has to be complicated? At no point does it, need, does it have to be complicated. <laughs> We like our complicated systems, but yeah, you're totally right. They don't have to be. Um, no. uh, so this this has like a uh, the deployment again. Like one of the interesting things is the deployment. Um, so you're deploying within it's table quarters, and you're deploy, uh, you're deploying uh, within six inches of uh, of a table edge uh, or like a table quarter, which is always a little bit rough. It is it's it can be quite tight to get everything in, but then normally you wouldn't be uh, deploying a lot of units with this anyway. You know, if for even a thousand points in Mortalis games, you don't get many in a thousand points. You know, it, it very, very quickly gets eaten up, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. So, you're like, you're like, you, yeah, we're talking like three or four units. So, and, and plus you split it in half. So, um, yeah. you have reserves. So, it's interesting unlike a lot of games, that the attacker deploys first. And that's one of the things that you do see quite frequently in um, Zone Mortalis games, is that the attackers do tend to deploy first, and it represents then that the defenders are reacting to what they've done. They're, you know, the defenders are trying to cut off the attackers, trying to get into where they need to be and stop them from advancing any further. So once the attacker is deployed, the defender actually gets to deploy anywhere that is not within 12 inches. So once again, you are starting really, really close to each other. Mm. There's no kind of long manoeuvring around this game, is there? There's, you're going to be straight in, straight away. Oh, absolutely. So it's just a basic uh, objectives. Uh, you have to get into uh, your enemy's table quarter. Once again, it's... Barebone um, simple? Good enough. Yeah. And once again, it's asymmetrical victory points. So the attacker's trying to get victory points by to get into the opposite deployment zone, and the defender is just getting victory points for murdering the attacker. Nice and simple. Nice and simple. Not complicated, but like we said, doesn't have to be. What about the uh, the special rules? Um some of these are basic. Deadly Ground, I think, is pretty basic. Uh, so Mortalis, uh, that uh, isn't that like you have to re-roll a successful blast or something? Or am I getting uh, confused deadly, with... Uh... 
yeah, deadly ground, I think, is just where there's more difficult terrain. So things that aren't normally difficult, oh, dangerous terrain okay. in a standard game become more dangerous when you're in a zone mortalis. So that's that. Um, Firestorm and shrapnel is where you get rending uh, on certain strength weapons or templates. Uh, nowhere to hide means um, you, you. it's different morale rules, isn't it? So um, I think it's much more difficult to pass morale checks if you're below a certain number. Blind panic means you always move away from the enemy, even if it's straight through your friendly units. Reaction fire is always a fun one. So you overwatch on your initiative or, or on your full blister skill if you pass an initiative check. And then reserves as reserves, as we're used to many, many times now. That's one when you always fail the turn you need to get a unit in. That would be the one, yes. I'm also glad someone has actually read the Zone Mortalis rules. I haven't played in years. You know what? Zone Mortalis is one of the most underplayed versions of oh, absolutely. And it's, it's criminal because it's actually one of the most fun ways to play Heresy. Yeah. And ironically... I think a lot of people don't play it because they don't have the train for it. Uh, and ironically, it's probably the, uh, the, the, the variation that requires the, less, the least amount of train. Yeah, I mean, we're quite lucky um, because we use the, the card um, train that Necromunda released on, its, on when it was first redone. Oh. And they released lots of um, cardboard boards based on the Forge World Zone Mortalis layout. So we tend to use those because the walls are clearly marked out. Yes, you don't have that lovely 3D effect of you know all the three-dimensional walls and bits and pieces, but it's a hell of a lot cheaper. So yeah, it works perfectly fine for us. And so, there's a lot of third-party cheaper zone mortalis terrain out there now. I think you still make a pretty good table uh, with the uh, Necromunda uh, terrain, like the plastic, uh, essentially zone mortalis. I think you can make a pretty good table with not that much money. Yes, I would agree. Yeah. Um, um, compared and, to the old tiles, the old tiles were just just cost a fortune. I think it was like a thousand dollars for like even a two by two table or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the new, the new plastic zone mortalis stuff is amazing. What people are able to achieve with some of those is jaw dropping. Um, if you on the the net or some of the net from groups and some of the things people can produce with those tiles. And the sex mechanicus bits, yeah, it, it, it's true. It's more of a work of art than a gaming table. Some of those, yeah. And there's a Kickstarter actually by Mortian who's doing additions to it, and they are freaking unbelievable. Really? Yeah. Check my. He has like a little vault that uh, actually has a spinning wheel on it. It's so well engineered. Oh, that looks great. Yeah. How good does that look? shrines command console oh that's really rad yes check this out if you're a fan of this kind of stuff check out um uh look up mordian zen m terrain upgrade parts yeah mordian that that guy like does such wonderful work um <laughs> his uh he, um I, I i love his like crawler tanks they look fantastic anyways Let's uh, let's keep moving because otherwise I'm just gonna spend uh, the time that I should be recording uh, <laughs> an episode just looking at uh, STL looking at Mortian stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's go to mission three. This is this is the this is the big one. Come on. This is this, uh, this is in this corner, Wang. And I'm gonna assume 
700 pounds from from Inwit Segmentum Solar Rogel Dorn and his opponent weighing coming in at I don't know, I think seven, uh, they probably a lot like less. a fucking ton, like, with their armor. Weighing in at 500 pounds plus armor from parts unknown, Ophirios! He's a heel, so it's, ah, oh, booing. So this is, this, is the, this is the main event. Bing, ding! Yeah, I mean, if we were to put this into kind of black book language, this is the legendary mission for this campaign, isn't it? This yeah, is the much, end point. Yeah. This is this is for square off. Um, this is you know for, for the title win, and it's a really nice way to sell it, set it up. So you've got the standard Zomortalis organization chart, and then you have to have a Lord of War, and the Lord of War has to be either Dawn or Alpharius. Yeah. What I particularly like about this is it makes no odds about the points difference between the two Primarchs. It's just you have Alpharius. You have Dawn, get on with it. <laughs> yeah. And I love that because it's completely narrative, isn't it? It's just like screw the points. It's just Primark and Primark. And, you know, we've all seen these Primark and Primark fights. And regardless of the points, they drag on. But there's, uh, how there's does this mission uh, get around this? I feel like there's like uh, there's another version of this uh, of this uh, mission where they're like a failed parlay, I think, uh, based on Savage Weapons. Um, and I think it's one of it, it's in one of the uh, Warhammer uh, the Weekender uh, event packs or something like that. It's like a parlay kind of yes. uh, thing, right? Yeah, I'd have to look you it know up. What I'm talking it's, about. Yeah, it's deep on my shelf for a moment. Yeah. I, I will have to look it up. I think there is also one similar in the Thramas book as well. You might oh, be right. I don't recall, but I, I know there's one where where your um uh, your warlord starts in the middle with a bodyguard unit. And it sort of represents like savage weapons, a parlay that like goes wrong. Um, and it's super fun. I've played it before. Everybody loves it when their warlord, when their warlords get into a fight, right? Because this is this is the time. Yeah. I played a game with uh, Alex from um, uh, Death Betrayal. Uh, I, I talked about it in the show well, a couple months ago. But uh, when our warlords, uh, his 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 black shields, uh, warlord and my. Warsmith, they got they got into close combat, and it's like Praetor on Praetor battle, right? It's always this is the culminating point, right? We all see ourselves in the warlord that we put on the table. There's always a role play element um, uh, to these games, so we were just like rolling at the same time, and they wound up killing each other. But this, these are always the culminating points. These are the narrative points, and it's so cool to just start off with it. Let's let's get this done. Yeah. Um, the, the mission you're thinking of is in the Thramas campaign system. It's Mission 3 Confrontation. Thank you. So we can, we can confirm that one. We can confirm that um, one. But this one here, so how does this work? So um, players take it in turns, adding all the scenery. Um, they have to have it. Each board edge has to have at least one clear entry exit. It explains how it, this can fit into the three-part campaign that we've talked about previously. Um, the Primark and their retinue unit has to be deployed in the deployment zone in the center of the board, a 12-inch diameter, 12-inch radius, no, 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 it is 12-inch diameter in the center of the board. So they're facing off. There's, there's not going to be any kind of trying to outmaneuver the opponent or trying to, well, I don't know, shank the Primark with a plasma support squad before they get anywhere. They are going to be facing off against each other. 
And Alpharius, is, I like how it specifies Alpharius cannot be deployed using the one of many special rules. He has to be out in the open. Yeah, absolutely. He's not, he's not hiding. I like away. that. And the game can only last for five turns, but at the end of turn five, the Imperial Fist player can choose to carry on for a final sixth turn. So how is this going to all end? Well, for you to win outright, you have to kill your opponent's Primarch model. If both are alive at the end of the game, the one with the lowest number of wounds remaining is defeated and the other player is the winner. If they both have the same number of wounds remaining or both are killed, then victory points are gained from secondary objectives. So I really like the fact that secondary objectives don't count unless both Primarchs are dead or they both have an equal <laughs> number of wounds. Brutal. Yeah. And that's it. That that mission is. That's it. That's all you want. Yeah. What more that, do you want? Yeah, you just want your two Primarchs laying into each other for five or six turns. All right. Okay. Question. Uh, I haven't looked at these rules in a while. Uh, like uh, the uh, these two Primarchs. Uh, I don't remember the last time I faced either Rogaldorn or Alpharius on the battlefield. Rules wise, does Dorn win usually? I don't know. I, I remember I... Alpharius being more like an army buff than anything. But uh, it's been a while. I, mean, I dare say Dawn will be able to take him out because I've killed Alpharis with Praetors before. But then again, Dawn isn't really known for his battlefield prowess. Uh, certainly in game. Like he's not a Sanguinius, right? He's not he's not a combat primer. Uh, no. But it, like he, he, he's good with army buffs, but if I remember correctly, he's still tougher than Alpharius. Yeah, I think yeah, so. I mean, isn't Alpharius the cheapest of the Primarchs, if I remember yeah. rightly? But well, you get two. Has- like, no, actually, he, I think Lorga unpowered is maybe yeah, who takes that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think Alpharis does have a couple of advantages, he does have preferred enemy, so he is going to be re rolling stuff. I think his spear has fleshbane as well, but I'm not, not sure if Dawn's chainsaw has fleshbane as well. So, I, I think it would probably be pretty even between them both. Uh, Storm's Teeth, his uh, Chainsaw does not have Fleshbane, it has Shred. So it could add a little bit of advantage towards Alpharis in terms of wounding Dawn, but then Dawn's still going to get his invulnerable save, it will not die, etc, etc. So it's probably fairly even, probably pretty equal between the, the both of them, to be honest, isn't it? Because Alpharis kind of can't use all of his shenanigans and kind of hide everywhere and do yeah. those dodgy bits that he can and Dawn's not going to hide in well neither of them are going to hide in a massive bodyguard unit. That's what I think is so fun about this right? Like this is what we want to see. This is what we want to know when, uh, I remember Miles when we were at the, after the weekender um, like we went to uh, uh, to Firestorm Games and we, uh, well, we we played a game but after the game since we had a good idea of what I'll uh, sorry, uh what Sanguinius's rules were, we just did Sanguinius versus Perturabo for like five rounds just to see what would happen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> spoiler alert: Perturabo lost every round, <laughs> but it was it, it was close a lot of the time just because of uh, of concussive, not uh, because mm-hmm. of uh, Forgebreaker. But like this is what we this is what we like, right? This is the this is the superhero or like you know wrestling fans in all of us, right? We want to see the two champions going at each other to see who is. Uh, truly, uh, uh, who deserves the belt, right? So, you know what I would quite like to do with this set of rules, with the two Primarchs fighting against each other, is rather than using the standard to hit chart, 
I'd quite like to use the kind of the modified Rogue Trader combat or what was used in the first edition of Necromunda, where you rolled a number of dice equal to your attacks and add your weapon skill. And then you get other modifiers to it if you're using multiple weapons and you can parry if you've got a sword and stuff. Just to make the dice rolls a little bit more swingy between it rather than I just need threes to hit you. Yeah, I just think nice. it would make a bit I just think it would just add something. Yeah, that would be really cool. I think this is gonna come down to the fact that Alpharius goes first. Is Dawn unwieldy? No, he has initiative five. Uh Alpharius has six. Oh, that's that could yeah, that could be a factor. Of, I, I think play, that's but... it. Has anybody fought this before? Like Alpharius versus Dorn? Uh, get at us in the comments um, because I've never seen this actual fight uh, on the tabletop. But I think I, I really think that Alpharius has a better chance than he does in the books. And also, it's not Alpharius in the books that dies, so it doesn't really matter. Hashtag Alpharius not dead. Well, doesn't he in the book? It's only Acromus jumping in that saves Dawn, isn't it? If I remember rightly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that was the theme that they built up to the difference in ideologies where Alpharius split his, I guess, consciousness into many separate individual units operating independently, whereas Dawn built an army, a unit working in cohesion. And those two methodologies were pitted against each other right at the, right at the end. And uh, Alpharius had the killing stroke. He was going in for the kill. Through the ideology of Dawn, Archamus sacrificed himself, uh, and yeah, and Dawn was able to take uh, Alpharius. So a lucky lookout, sir. Role. Uh, yes, yeah, very much so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one survivor, this Carl. Bless. Yeah, it's good. So, how would we sum up the character? How would we sum up this campaign back book then? Well, pack. I, I I just want to circle back to what you said at the beginning. You could play this one day and have a incredibly fun narrative campaign day. Get some pizzas, get some snacks. I, I, I love these mini campaigns. I think that it's exactly the shot in the arm that the community uh, needed and throwing an extra unit in there. And I think they all do. This yes. is what we needed. This is what we needed. Uh, um, it's, it's been a rough several years with not a lot of releases. And this is the kind of content uh, that we absolutely needed as, as we're waiting for a potential new edition. Absolutely. Miles? More, please. More. More more so what would you like to see as another one um well what are they so far though we have pluto we have um hydrocrodatus pharos pharos yeah. are there only three uh yeah there's th only three okay. so far oh so they said they were going to be four i think they never specified how many i thought they, was they just they okay. said they just said a series of camp free campaign books okay so what would be uh what would be a good one it has to be a minor uh, battle. I mean, nothing yeah. immediately springs to mind. Oh, uh, you know what I like to see? Um, I don't remember the battle, what the battle was called, but uh, the battle where um, uh, Medusa uh, ambushed Little Horus. Oh, oh, yeah. And then, um, and then you could have like maybe rules for a White Scars ass uh, assassination squad. That is a phenomenal idea. Yeah. Yeah. Quite like that. that. I. I'd like the one because they they do take point to taking a small part of the Black Library book. I'd quite like to see a campaign book on um, the Battle of Moloch, where Abaddon and the Sons of Horus take the space station, the orbital defense platform. Oh, remember yeah, the moon! Oh. Remember the moon! 
yeah i mean come to think of it um i'm not sure how big this campaign would end up being but when abaddon was sent to hunt down lehman russ after uh the titan death oh, yeah rad too but i think moloch mm. moloch it'd be ridiculous if moloch didn't get its own um like yeah fools. agreed if not a black book i i i uh, I, I think everybody something assumes that black books aren't coming back, but um, it's going to be a full campaign. I mean, Titanicus has a whole campaign book on Moloch. Heresy will as well. They get like smaller things. Was it Dawn where I'm, I'm just trying to remember where uh, uh, um, little Horace got his face cut off. What a great short story by ADB. Yeah. What about um, Jagatai and Mortari on, on Prospero, the second battle of Prospero? Yeah. Dude, yeah, that, that's a short encounter. That's so sounded like uh, what's that Star Trek: The Next Generation episode? Uh, uh, Darmok, Mortarian, Mortarian, and Jagatai Khan on Prospero, Mortarian on the ocean. Uh, I very yeah. rarely get your references, but I got that one. Darmok, Darmok, and Jalad at Tanagra. Yeah. Mortarian and Jagatai Khan at Prospero, yeah. and that's the point where we end. <laughs> What a fantastic way to end that no, no, no one cares about my Star Trek Next Generation references. Okay. No, this is fantastic. I can't wait to talk about it. Oh, what, what are, which one are we doing next time? Um, I guess chronological? Um, yeah, so let's do it chronologically. So yeah, Pharos. We'll, we'll do the, the, the Pharos and then we get to talk about Astro. Oh, everybody's favorite book. Yes. Pharos, the Definitely the book that didn't make the Night Lords look like cartoon villains. So now we've gone through the campaign rules. We've talked about the Huskar rules. We've talked about how Dawn murders Alpharius again. Um, what we want to talk about is moving on to painting black and how you can model your own Huskars and most importantly, paint the yellow. Now it's time for Painting Black and Other Colors, brought to you by Lil Legend Painting Studio. Painting Black and Other Colors, we haven't done this for a while. It's been uh, a while. We, yeah, it still feels like we're trying to recover from that echo of uh, me not being here for, what, like nearly a year, uh, thanks to COVID. Uh, so yeah, we are still gradually getting back into the swing of things. And to be perfectly frank, there hasn't been that much to talk about. We've gone through all the legions, we've gone through painting tips, we've gone through general tips. Uh, but now we have something new to talk about because there's new materials coming out. Uh, so we, uh, like we talked about earlier in the show, Imperial Fist Huskals. It's a really nice new addition into the Imperial Fist, into the, I guess, heresy range because they're not too unbalanced. Uh, they just add nice flavor. Now, I can dare say, I can pretty much bet that any units that we will see in these smaller supplements, pretty much guaranteed not to get miniatures. But that's okay, because not every unit needs to have miniatures. We have a very rich and diverse community of hobbyists, collectors, and converters out there. I mean, it's not impossible Sorry. that they're going to get uh, they're, they're going to get their own models. But if they get their own models um, for a unit introduced in a web only, well done, but like web only Warhammer Community expansion, and I don't get my Iron Havocs, I'm gonna. That's an actual well, full black book release. 
I'm not going to do anything, but I, I would be angry is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, in these, uh, from what I understand from conversations around this, yeah, it'd be very unlikely that we will be seeing models, but that's okay because it opens up the door to our own imagination. We could do things for ourselves. Um, so these guys do are, uh, well, in the gaming supplement advertised as a cataphracty plate and the conversions are pretty basic uh, how, how they've used in there. Uh, it's slightly divergent from the law. So in the Praetorian of Dawn, the Huskals are described as wearing Indomitus plate. So that's the plate that 40K Terminators wear. So there's a slight difference right from the very, very off. And they are described as, in the few snippets I have seen, and this, because the Huskals, they're a, uh, I guess, band of warriors dedicated towards a HQ. Uh, they're the inner circle of the, uh, of the Imperial Fist and of Dawn himself, his, his own personal bodyguards. They are described as being very richly attired, as you would expect, but wearing uh, snow white cloaks as well. So uh, like snow white uh, um, uh, animal fur cloaks uh, with certain embellishments to them. So that opens up the window right from the very off, enable to sculpt fur. Uh, you could do lots of nice conversions using the Indominus plate. Uh, I've had a few conversations. So Mike French, uh, who is very well known in the 30K community, you can find his work or, via um, uh, Mike French on, on Instagram. Uh, he has some um, wonderful conversions for the Huskars, but they are slightly crazy. So if you were as demented as Mike, you could take a Dawn. You could take castings of certain areas of his armor, the legs uh, and uh, his shoulder pads. And these fit rather nicely onto an Indominus plate Terminator. If you turned up with a Huskar unit that's been completely decked out and been completely converted, I doubt very many people in this world will have a problem with you using them as Indominus uh, cataphracty Terminators in-game. It's a slight stretch, but it's it's law-dependent and it's law-accurate. But if you did want to go down the cataphracty plate, uh, well, we do have a few options out there. You may want to use just the very basic plastic set which you certainly can do, and then sculpt fur onto them. So sculpting fur, it's one of those things that people have a little bit of trepidation about, but you can simplify it by molding a very rough shape on top of the, cataph- on top of the cataphractic plate, allow it to cure for around 15 to 20 minutes, and take a pair of precision tweezers. And when you glide this along, when you pinch the green stuff, it creates realistic fur. Just a very simple technique. If you okay, sorry for the plug. If you did want to see this technique in action, yeah, in there you go. Okay, here it comes. Yeah, it's available on the Patreon. Uh, you find a little legend studio. There's a full, uh, well, there, there's a, a sculpting course on there, ready and raring to go, like simple application, uh, all the good stuff on there. But there is this fur tutorial on there as well. If you did want to see it, uh, you can also use something maybe a little bit more fancy. I guess you could use the um, blood angel, oh god, what the hell are they called? Uh, blood angel, blood, blood crimson, crimson paladins, because they have a lot of embellishments on them, and they also come rather handily with shields. Now, these shields will need to be filed down to a flat surface, 
but thankfully the Imperial Fist decal set is wonderful for this procedure. However, you may not like the teardrop design of them. You can easily take shields from the AOS range, the Stormcast Eternal range. They have that nice balance between being utilitarian, uh, looking quite big and chunky to be used on Space Marines, uh, but they also have those large flat surfaces as well, which take decals with beautifully. So those would be a few suggestions as the very base core of your miniatures. Uh, I would look for something a little bit more embellished. The uh, Crimson Paladins with blood drops uh, filed off would be a great basis. Uh, you could use the basic set. Uh, I mean, I've been working on some of the first generation uh, resin terminators, and they are absolutely joy, joy to work with. If you wanted something a little bit more brutal, the Justarian set would be great with all those spikes uh, on them. Um, in fact, most cataphractic Terminator suits would suit these. It all depends on your own personal projection of what the Huskal would look like, because there's so few details beyond them wearing Indomitus plate, having shields, and having those uh, fur uh, white cloaks to them. I have a quick question. You mentioned something earlier um, about uh, uh, casting parts of Dorn's uh, armor, yeah. some uh, uh, adornments. Um, I was wondering if if you have any experience with uh, blue stuff and if that's something that could yeah. be uh, useful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think um, so. Mike's process is a little bit more evolved than that. He he um, uses actual uh, like a, a God, what's it called like a casting facility for it. Uh, but anyway, if you don't get yeah, like say blue stuff. So this is a, it almost looks like a block of wax, see-through wax that you heat up, you press against the surface and it takes a mold, it takes an impression. The problem is taking accurate molds of that. I have found that by mixing in a little bit of milliput, so we're looking 50-50 milliput green stuff, it gives a much sharper edge. The problem is it ends up being very brittle. So when you remove it, you can damage the casting. There is another uh, putty out they call Magisculpt, which has the, I guess, dual qualities of green stuff and milliput, insofar that it dries very hard. It dries to very sharp edges, but it has a certain amount of elasticity to it. So applying that into the mixture, or apply, sorry, applying that into the mold, I think would give a much better impression However, for something like this, you would look to maybe cast up uh, segments of it because Dawn's armor is so embellished. I found that with the blue stuff, that slight warping occurs when you remove the mold. Uh, but for like small details, maybe like uh, lightning bolts, maybe like the, the uh, Dawn's eagle, it would be perfect for that. Can you, do some, you can't do the same thing with green stuff, eh? Uh, you can do, but you do run the risk of green stuff actually sticking onto the mi miniature. Uh, so yeah, you, do, yeah, yeah. you do need mold release agent. Uh, in the past, I have used uh, Vaseline or KY jelly. The, the pro again, it comes with its own set of problems then, uh, because when you take the mold impression, sometimes the Vaseline mixed up with the green stuff. Uh, it, it can be removed with isopropyl alcohol, but there are a lot of issues along. Uh, the road there yeah if you did want to take an impression blue stuff is probably the best way to go perfect so sorry i, I interrupted you earlier um because i've never used this oh. stuff it always seemed kind of rad 
It's great for taking impressions of small things. I found with Deet, I, I remember I tried to do a wolf's head and it kind of came out okay. And when I removed the green stuff, I was able to sort of like finesse into shape, but it never gives a completely accurate impression of the miniature that you're trying to uh, drag. So it, it, like, it works great on flat surfaces. It looks great on uh, small uh, details that you can take, but not large details, um, which Mike was, was doing. Uh, but yes, yellow, the conundrum of yellow. How do you got, get the best out of yellow? Um, several different uh, uh, versions of yellow exist out there in the world. Probably my favorite technique is to base coat the miniature, uh, either white or black. There's, I prefer black because it gives a slightly darker edge to everything that you do from there. Uh, but covering the miniature in like a uh, low value magenta or maybe like a brown magenta, something along the lines of like a red leather from Scale 75. Uh, hell, if you put magenta on top of a black base coat, that would look great because the black kind of drinks in the color. After that, you could put a white Zenful highlight, developing those tones, developing the uh, val uh, volumes of the armor. Then you could put a yellow ink or ideally a yellow contrast paint over the top. And the underlying magenta tones will give a very satisfying shadow to the yellow whereas the contrast paint will give a really nice filter layer over the top, binding everything together. Uh, so when it comes to developing your own Pascals, it is worth keeping uh, that in mind or just painting Imperial Fist in general. Uh, it's a very quick, easy way uh, to, to paint up lots of infantry and Imperial Fist to a very high standard. Excellent. What about like uh, the cloaks and, and adornments? Ah, cloaks. Okay, uh, so a few different ways we could go about doing this. Uh, my post because my my, my, my instinct. Sorry, to me, um, but my instinct is like fur is the easiest thing thing to paint. Just base mm -hmm. coat, dry brush, you're done. Am I am yeah. I incorrect? Yeah, no, no, not at all. Dry brush. If you wanted to uh, do a little bit more uh, of an evolved stage of that, you could base coat the miniature. When you base coat the miniature, you kind of like mix up a few different tones. So if you were going for like a black uh, uh, the fur uh, cloak to it, you could take gray, you could take brown, you could take black, and you could wet blend it on the surface to give you all different kinds of tones, then dry brush it, and then glaze over the top of something like a rhinoxide mixed with a black. Because this is a natural material, you don't want to use pure, pure, pure black uh, at any point, ideally, uh, because it will always have sort of like that matted, dirty appearance to it. It's not a shine surface, so the value won't go as low. So it, it won't reach like pure black in those shadows, or it shouldn't reach pure black in those shadows. For robes, uh, like big flat surfaces, and you could airbrush them. However, I do like tackling these things with a, a structured approach. Uh, so I did a video on Dark Angels Companions just this weekend at time of recording, where I base coated the miniature with a dark green so in this case, if you're using Huskarls, a dark red. I hit an oil wash over the top because it came as part of the process. Uh, you can use black. You can use a, a dark violet uh, on, on a red. Uh, and then once a, another matte varnish is put on top, I take my base coat and a lighter value color to it. If I was using red for the cloak, I would use something like a sunny skin tone. When you look at sunny skin tone, you can say it is a high value uh, uh, yellow orange uh, and that simply means that it's a very bright yellow orange to give it a Caucasian pinkish skin you mix that in with a base 
and then you build the structure so you don't worry whatsoever about the blends. This is more like uh, an evolved, or sorry, this is more like a pre-shade that you do with a brush. So you, cr you create the main volumes of the uh, cloak very, very abruptly. And then once that's in place, you put a filter layer or you put a glaze, a unifying glaze over the top of that again. So you have the shadows, you have the midtones, you have the highlights all done, all unified in that uh, filter layer, in that base tone to give you the color that you're looking for. Excellent. Any uh, other advice for uh, painting these guys? Uh, the Blood Angel decal set is great for filigree. Really? Is, yeah. The uh, So like especially along the bottom of that trim, I think it would look great on this sort of model. Um, you also have some really nice trim details from the Indomitus box set and any of the newer Space Marine, Space Marine releases. They have some really top quality decal sets coming out alongside them. Not only Legion or chapter iconography, but it's also uh, like little filigree marks, uh, campaign badges, things of that nature. And, 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 and uh, it would be worth looking at uh, little shields. So the Indomitus box set, for example, all the new later space marines, they come with uh, little shields embellishing their armor. They would look great on Terminator plate. Then you can make your own custom heraldry for your guys, in which case you can use Titanicus decals. You can do a little bit of freehand for yourself. Uh, and it just gives you that extra little detail that separates the Huskals from your basic bog standard Terminators. That is it. Those Huskals. If you do try any of these conversions, if you do try any of these tips, please, please, please get in contact with us. Leave it on the Facebook page. Uh, we want to see some, uh, yeah, Mike, if you're listening to this, I want to see some pretty batshit crit. If you could post up those Huskals again on our Facebook page, I want to see them again. That would be phenomenal. Perfect. So for the first time in a little bit, we've had a painting black and other colors. I hope everybody enjoyed it. And we'll be right back for Tales of Heresy. Eric Gulero had taken the throne in his shipmaster's absence. It fit him well, as did command. His place was upon the dais, the awesome strength of a starship almost literally at his fingertips. Before the war, he had been destined for a vessel of his own, more modest than the Cribdis, but a sturdy ship of the line nonetheless. He had served with pride under Coloedician, but Galero had ambition and the natural affinity for Void War to match it. But for Istvan, his life would have been different. Sitting idly in the throne, he considered that much else would now be different were it not for the massacre. His thoughts were getting away from him, and he forced himself to refocus. The bridge was quiet with little to distract the edgy crew. Galero had already requested a status report from Azenzi and the other officers. No change. Nothing further to do but watch and wait. Even conversation had ebbed to little more than the odd dull murmur. Anxiety spread like a contagion, worsening with every shudder of metal, every flex stanchion. In the warp, a hardened bridge crew had a much reduced level of agency. To Galero, it bordered on impotency. Surrendering to Cersei and her ability to traverse the tides chilled and unnerved him. For Galero, returning to the cold heart of the void could not come soon enough. He only hoped the Charybdis could weather the battering she was taken at the hands of the storm. He eyed the shuttered viewport. Its grey overlapping folds provided little in the way of distraction. His gaze roamed, surveying the crew at their stations. Several appeared calm, but their knuckles were white with gripping the edges of their consoles. Only the servitors were unmoved, their emotional concerns siphoned away long ago and replaced by automated doctrine. The Charybdis had several servitors amongst its bridge crew for rapid hard data processing and other automatic, mundane functions. Though they were cold and barely humanoid, let alone human, Galero knew they were useful, but he still found their presence distasteful. 
The thought formed anew as he regarded the ship's augury operator. Essentially a data interpreter, the drone had reverted to a dormant state, its limbs hanging slack by its sides, its head bowed with chin touching chest. Even the cabling running from its machine body to the augury array the servitor was slave to looked limp and enervated. Galera was about to move on when he noticed something under the array itself, hiding in the thick wiring and power couplings. A tiny pair of pale hands, a white, diaphanous dress shawling a small, infantile form. Dingy light made it difficult to see her clearly, and she seemed to shuffle farther back into the shadows below the Augur station. Galero eased forward in the throne, making sure his eyes weren't playing tricks. He reached as far as the edge of the dais before he saw her again. A girl, no more than a child. Lieutenant Azenzi, he began. Do you see that? Lysa Azenzi followed Galero's outstretched hand. She frowned at first, as several other bridge crew turned to look too, intrigued by the sudden commotion. Is that a little girl? She asked, confusion etched across her usually stern face. Galero ventured farther forward, crouching down as he left the dais and descending the steps leading up to it to try to reach eye level with the child. She was knelt down and just to the side so Galero couldn't quite see her face, obscured as it was behind strands of long, black hair. It's alright, he said, though he felt a tremor of unease in his gut, as if he had eaten something bad in the refectory. You can come out. Galero heard a faint, childish giggle, but the girl stayed still. You can't stay under there, he told her closing on the auger station. You don't belong here. You don't belong here. The child replied in a voice so deep and absurdly wrong coming out of a child that Azenzi was immediately sick. Galero barely had time to process that one of his fellow officers had been violently ill when the girl crawled from her hiding place. Her hair parted as she faced him, showing to the lieutenant and all of the bridge crew what lay beneath. To his immense credit, Eric Galero had the instinctive presence of mind to reach for a sidearm. He was even vaguely aware of the armsmen who had been left on the bridge coming to investigate. But it was already too late. Alright, welcome back to Tales of Heresy. Today's Tale of Heresy is the second part of our probably three-part uh, discussion of Deathfire by Decline. First of all, does anybody have an efficient synopsis of the second part? Even though it's kind of unclear the, 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 the separations, the bookends? Uh, the Death Guard saying why are you hitting yourself why are you hitting yourself <laughs> it's pretty good i think darren just before we started recording darren's uh uh, uh salafander is getting ganked on by death guard is pretty is pretty accurate as well. yeah that's better <laughs> that's, uh but either way yeah uh so this is the second part uh of our discussion again um we don't have a deficient uh because the problem is uh the third part of the book is is pretty short so uh i think we're gonna uh we're, we're gonna have a more a um a more, um, uh, how to put it, a, a, a an artificial division. Yeah, artificial yeah. division. Thank you. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, anyone want to bring us up to speed on where we are in the book? Especially, yes. we've left, we've left um, Imperium Scandals. Well, we have now, but that's because kind of followed up, isn't it? So, we've had kind of separate elements of Salamanders have brought, been brought back together on the crag. Uh, Vulcan has been laid in state, and the Salamanders have basically said, We're taking him home. And the Triumvirate have said, We're not happy with it. And Salamanders has turned around and went, Tough, we're going. We'll see you later. And we're taking this battle barge. See you later. And that's it, isn't it, really? That's as far as we've got. Yep. There's also a dodgy word bearer, if there's anything other than a dodgy word bearer, <laughs> um, and a suspicious Malkador agent as well. They're all a little bit suspicious. Mm, mm, not sure I agree. No, Gary, 
Gar- well, Garrow's not suspicious. Logan's definitely straight arrow. Garrow, everybody trusts yeah. him. And Logan be- should have died on his fan. Mm. So he he's definitely not suspicious. Yeah, we all agree on that one. So yeah, uh, okay. So we start off uh, this section. Um, the Tribdis. Um, is it Cribdis or Tribdis? Does anybody know how to pronounce ancient Greek? Uh, I would have, uh, I've always gone for Cribdis, but isn't Tribdis uh, the Roman? I think it's someone. Greek. Will, someone will correct us. Yeah, Cribdis. I've always used as the pronunciation. All right. Someone well, will correct us. No, I think is, that, you... is that what we've we're we're definitely saying now that's the pronunciation for this episode yeah we're yes, going with Cribdis. Cribdis. all right yeah so okay. it's battle barge and which i didn't realize uh when i was reading the first part of the book i didn't realize it was a battle barge it's, oh, it's battle barge or strike cruiser isn't it it's, it's what they're never fully defined oh, it, no it's a battle barge it's a battle barge uh, they 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 they, uh, it, it, they clarify it in the second part uh they do clarify it's a battle barge so it's big big ass ship um so they 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 go into the seas they uh this is the odyssey right so they go um and, and get in and get into some adventures and it is a little bit episodic uh this story it's following a very very homeric pattern isn't it of we will travel to this place and this event will take will this happen here we'll then travel to somewhere else and another event will happen it, it's very much a linear progression of each part building on the previous sections oh yeah so what's the first part? What, 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 the, what is their first uh, uh, a challenge or uh, not challenge? What's the word I'm looking for? Obstacle. Obstacle. Yeah. And it's actually traveling through the warp itself, isn't it? Because there's a ruin storm. And also the area they're traveling through has been heavily irradiated because of a shadow crusade, uh, which is also still going on at this point. I think that's something we do need to remember, which is why it's an odd choice as well in in this section, as we'll see, there's a lot of Death Guard, which I thought was an odd choice, considering the two main traitor legions operating in this area at this point are word bearers and world eaters. So I thought Death Guard was ah. an, an interesting choice to go with. But I think we'll, we'll talk about it more later. But I think there's thematic reasons why they choose the Death Guard to um, what be the opposition to the Salamanders. But we'll talk about that when we start talking about some of the, the combat scenes. It is interesting. Um, I hadn't even really thought about it. Um, but yeah, there's there, there's heavy 14th Legion uh, presence in, in, in the area. Um, generally speaking, I think that some of the best parts of this book are the descriptions of um, sort of like the, the ruin that is left in the wake of the Shadow Crusade. Um, there's one particular scene that is so evocative uh, that they're... they're, they're, they're the, the, the Cryptus is going through a, a former battlefield and, and there's literally like um, a, 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 a ship that's described as bigger than a Gloriana gutted. And there's like uh, ultramarines and word bearers that are like locked in combat. Um, but they're, you know, obviously something happened like a warp core implosion or something like that. They've been like, um, um, they're all dead, but they, they died in, 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 while in combat and there's like uh they, they talk a little bit about like you know like hands uh around each other's throats and like knives going in and everything like that but and 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 like uh, i think it's zathan or i think it's zathan uh, 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 uh looks at it and says like this this is how we should all uh, die just sort of floating in the void with your hands around your enemy's throat is I, I thought ship re- isn't the ship they're referring to one of the abyss class I, I that's what I get 
I think so. They don't say it specifically. I don't think. No, they don't. They they never specify, do they? But I'm pretty sure because only because one of those is destroyed in Shadow Crusade, isn't it? Because there's three. Uh, the Furious Abyss is destroyed. Uh, well, uselessly in a useless book. Uh, then there's the. Uh, what are the other two? I I don't know. I'm not. I'm not deep enough in Wordbearer's law, but I'm I'm pretty sure they do lose another one. Oh, in in the Shadow Crusade itself. But yeah, I mean, right. it's never specified, but, you know, I, I assumed it was one of those that, that had gone nuclear and, and been taken down. But it is a really good scene, isn't it? And it's just showing how vicious the fighting is during the Shadow Crusade, because we don't actually have that much about the Shadow Crusade. Well, I mean, there's a great book about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Betrayal, uh, well, no, Betrayal, isn't it, is, is the main Shadow Crusade novel. But beyond that, we don't really get much of the wider stuff. Even book five doesn't go into a massive amount of depth. Maybe we'll get a new uh, campaign book for it with AOS, with um, AO, Age of Darkness 2. That's another conversation for another time. Hopefully. So yeah, I, I find, uh, I find uh, this section of the book really, really um, interesting. But of course, as they're cruising through this, uh, this, 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 this wreckage, they find... It's the Blessed Lady in something. Never mind, sorry. One of them is Blessed Lady. And another one is I'm gonna look it up. It's driving me. I think it's crazy. been renamed Zadkiel's Folly by Logar. No, they call Zadkiel's Folly the Furious Abyss. Uh, oh, right. they, they they use that as sort of a derogatory term for the Furious Abyss. Mm. Uh tri, uh Trisagian. Oh, Trisagian. Yeah. Blessed Lady, Trisagian, and Furious Abyss are the three Abyss class ships. <laughs> I don't remember either of those being destroyed. No, you're thinking of uh you're thinking of uh, of of the Gloriana, the uh, the the word bearer's original flagship that was destroyed uh, at the battle of um, around Angron's homeworld. Okay, I, I might be. I don't know. I'm not sure. Anyway, let, yeah, okay. Moving on. Moving on. Moving move on. So they pick up a distress signal, don't they? Yeah, they pick up a uh, they pick up a distress signal, and um, they also pick up uh, information that uh, there's some uh, there's some death guard around. I, I quite liked how they picked that up, actually, because they recognise it through ship names, don't they? It's not because they're giving off 14th Legion um, beacons or anything like that. They just recognise the names of the ships and kind of link that to the Death Guards. So they, there's some assumptions being made on behalf of Salamanders here, but they are fairly accurate assumptions to be making. Um, and I think the other point to recognise along with this is how many Salamanders there are. There's only about 66, which in terms of kind of heresy contingents, that's remarkably small. When, by the time we get to 40k, 66 marines is a sizable number, isn't it, for most campaigns. But for heresy fighting, 66, well, that's a small skirmish. So the fact that even though they're picking up this distress signal, they're already thinking, right, we need to go investigate it. Despite the fact they've got their Primark on board that they're taking on. There's some questionable decisions here made by the Salamanders. And I think what a lot of those decisions are is because they also recognise that there's uh, civilians on these planets as well. And the salamanders have always had this kind of leaning towards protecting the population, haven't they? And that's a key theme that's come out through the salamanders time and time again, that they're there to protect the innocent the civilians and they will go out their way to protect them as well. They're one of the few legions on any side of the conflict that will go out their way to protect and look after what soft targets 
this is also uh, i i think one of the themes um of 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 this book uh is the idea is okay um you can't because they discuss this later on in the section they 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 talk about like you know whether or not um they're on a crusade of, of vengeance or if they have an actual objective which is to bring vulcan to mount doom not mount doom a volcano <laughs> Another Death volcano. Star. You see, I know some Lord of the Rings stuff. Um, Mount, uh, what is it? <laughs> I isn't it? Isn't it Deathfire? It is Mount Deathfire. Death it's Fire, not Deathfire. Yes, okay, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Um. So they do have an objective is uh, because they believe that uh, that will, um, I guess, bring Vulcan back. Uh. And 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 so the debate is like, should we be attacking every single traitor on the way, or should we be, um concentrating on our mission um and, and and eventually they do decide that okay we need to you know concentrate on the mission but uh for for at least um at, at least at the beginning if they see traitors they're going to attack the traitors and there's this there's this wonderful um in which we had talked a last uh, last episode definitely wasn't last week considering uh <laughs> the uh the speed at which these episodes come out um last episode we had talked about um uh about the 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 shattered legions the uh the the three legions that were destroyed on istvan and um what's interesting about they, they, they do talk about um the fact that the salamanders are probably the of the three legions the one the one that was the most destroyed um uh the the the, the iron hands lost their primark but they still had numbers right because it was only the elite that 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 got sped to Istvan. Um, the Raven Guard still has their Primarch. Uh, the Salamanders have neither. They have, they have neither numbers nor their Primarch. They are truly broken. Well, I think there's another element to this as well because what we've also seen with the Salamanders, as well as this kind of strong protection theme, there is also a very very strong element of self sacrifice. And that's one of the kind of conflicts we see at the heart of this book as well, this kind of drive for revenge, even if it means sacrificing themselves to achieve it, or their greater mission of returning Vulcan back to the homeworld. So those two really do play off against each other. Those two really do kind of drag to against each other. And I think in this first part, the big push, and it's mainly from the Pyroclast members who are very, very focused on destruction, are really pushing for that self-sacrifice. We're going to destroy as many things as we can a long way before we are, we're destroyed ourselves. And I think that's why the Death Guard are a, a, a good opposition, because the Death Guard are all about that stoic, unrelenting, monotonous endurance. The Salamanders are all about that grinding down and that self-sacrifice but taking things taking damage taking the hits so you've got those two similar legions in terms of their outlook and and reliance on absorbing damage to themselves but approaching it from two very very different angles and certainly my perspective from with the salamanders is there's a very strong almost like religious element to it whereas with the death guard it's more about pride in their endurance which is what as we see later on with things like buried dagger is what leads them into the fall of the death guard miles haven't chimed in a bit i remember any of this it's been so long <laughs> <laughs> a couple of months since i read this i can't remember any of it uh fair enough 
Um, I'm enjoying the discussion. It's very good. Uh, so uh, this brings us okay. So they, 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 they find this Death Guard uh, contingent, and this brings them to, to this planet called Rampart, um, which is sort of a crappy mining world <laughs> in Ultramar. Yeah, it's a very non Ultramar like planet that we're used to, isn't it? Normally, Ultramar is this shining beacon of hope and you know, glorious marbled cities and a loving population. This is a dirty, grubby, Tatooine-like mining planet, which is a horrific area to fight in. Oh, yeah. And um, are they fighting plague marines? This is the other thing no. that, 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 like, when, when you look at the timing, doesn't... Because they do mention that the Death Guard are looking diseased. Yeah, and I think this is a blur for timeline isn't it and i think it's also what we've come across before in other black library novels where we haven't had the whole legion corrupt but we are certainly yeah. seeing elements of a legion becoming corrupt the first plague marines were on the eisenstein i mean there's no um you're right the whole legion isn't corrupt yet but there there's there's plague marines here and there like grilgore yeah. is like the ultimate plague marine he is yeah. literally plague personified. And, you know, we know Nurgle's had his eye on the Death Guard since Mortarion's inception. So it will make sense that some separated elements of Legion that are operating away from the main body are going to fall to Nurgle much quicker than other elements. Same as we saw with Wordbearers, how the Serrated Sons become possessed Galvaback years before the rest of the Legion yep. start using Possessed. So, it, it, you know, we can see that with the Sons of Horus. We can see that with the World Eaters, how some of those become what we would now refer to as Berserkers much earlier than other elements of Legion. It, once again, it's this demonstration not, that there's not a very, very clear progression that different elements are going to fall or change at different times. And I like that. But they're not full-on plague marines, are they? They are just slowly becoming corrupt marines. I, I suppose the closest thing is if you're talking about in the 40k term, they're more like renegades at this stage, dabbling in chaos without realizing what they're having access to. Uh, so the Salamanders contingent, uh, they kill a bunch of Death Guard, and and, and then they, and I don't like the product pl placement in this section because they keep talking about Aegis defense lines and walls of martyrs. It's just like, yeah, come on, like it's a trench. It's called a trench or a fortress or whatever, like a bunker. Like you don't have to, you don't have to always be selling. Um, and, and okay, so they, they move, uh, uh, and there's apparently this one dude, like a sniper, who's just like sniping down Death Guard, um, um, on the top of the, the walls of martyr thing. We know what it is, I guess it did work actually. I can visualize it well. Um, <laughs> and um, so they decide, well, this guy's shooting Death Guard, he must be our friend, yeah. And I, I didn't like here the difference they make between the tactics they use, the Death Guard are using. The dirty corrupt weapons they use it they're, they've employed destroyers which i do appreciate i love it's a good destroyer unit um but the death guard are using purifying fire so that's you know flame is okay phosphex flame is bad and you know once again we're seeing that distinction between the two legions which i think is quite key what is also quite key is there are divisions within salamanders that they want numian to to be leading them and he's and he's resisting that which is crazy because if you follow the strict chain of command, it does make sense for him to take control of 
the remnants that are left around them, but he's refusing to do it. And it's never really quite clarified why. I think it's more because Newman believes that Vulcan is alive and will assume control and he does when you usurp that place. But it is causing divisions within the Salamander, well, the legionaries which are left. But yeah, the sniper's an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah, I just want to, uh, to, to, to come back, um, uh, to circle back for a second about uh, destroyer units. Uh, there is another really cool part, um, uh, 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 a section in here, where they describe Ferris Manus and uh, a Vulcan, who are both good friends, um, uh, disagreeing over the use of destroyer units. Um, the idea that like Vulcan would not have phosphex or, or, or you know, any of those more... Um, you know, chemical, uh, uh, chemical weapons. Um, he, he would not have that in his legion. And Ferris Manus rightly pointing out, you're burning people alive, bud. <laughs> like, you're not any better than any of us, uh, which I think was a, was a wonderful point. But uh, uh, yeah, um, uh, what were you saying before I interrupted you? I totally interrupted you. Yeah, about, we were talking about, talk about the sniper, weren't we? Yeah, um, so it turns out uh, this, this sniper, uh, Agent of the Emperor, which again, it comes back to what we were talking about last time. Could someone not go see Gulliman and tell him that the Emperor is still alive? Apparently yes. not. Um, it, it's crazy, isn't it? If, if an agent of Malkador, if one of the Knights Errant can get all the way out to the 500 worlds, fights Death Guard single-handedly, clearly have infiltrated their strike cruiser and got down to a planet with them, and turn up in McCraig itself. Don't you think one of them could have gone along to the throne room and went, uh, excuse me, see this badge? Dad's alive. What are you doing? Well, he does say, they do ask him, uh, in all credit to the time, they do ask him uh, when he's being interrogated, and uh, the knight errant, uh, Gabriel Hecht, Hecht, I think. Yes. Um, uh, he says, uh, I haven't had any, you know, I was sent here, but I haven't had any contact in a while. You know, I, I can't, call Malkador on a cell phone but at the same time you know clearly you've had um, more recent contact than anybody else still I, I feel the information is still worth passing on for me it, yeah. but again like, like we were talking about last time for me it was really it, it was fucking uh, um, uh, Calf it's like when Garrow goes to Calf like that was too like, come on like Solomon's yeah. right there take two seconds out of your day it's one of those little things. It's frustrating, but you know, there we go. Honestly, what, the, what the, whole, the whole, the whole, uh, the whole Knights Errant thing and the the uh, the 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 Agents of the Emperor is one of my least favorite parts of the the Horus Heresy. I just don't find it. it. It's 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 prequelitis, right? It's it's like I don't need someone to explain to me where the Grey Knights and the Inquisition comes from. I don't care. I I I wasn't interested before. Oh. No, you, you will like the Inquisition origin story, but you haven't reached that far yet. Oh, okay. You, you will like that. You would appreciate that's in, um, uh, that's, that's, in, in a, uh, that's in a Siege of Terror. That's yeah, okay. in Saturnine. That's in Saturnine, okay. The Grey Knights, then. We, we admit that the Knights Errants are pretty much the original. Oh, yeah. I don't care. <laughs> Honestly, it, I, I prefer the Grey Knights when we didn't know anything about them. I thought that was more evocative. I love that we didn't have any information. All we knew, it was like, uh, wasn't it uh, chapter 666? Yes. 
Like, when we yeah. knew nothing. I remember there were models for Grey Knights back uh, back in the old days. There were models for Grey Knights, but no rules because you couldn't use them um, in like third edition. There, there were some in um, uh, in 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 uh, Rogue Trader, but in second and third edition, there were no rules for Grey Knights. Uh, you could not use them. They sold models, but you could not use them. Anyway, this is leading us away from Deathfire. All right, bring us back in then. Bring us back in. So. Basically, they rescue the agents for Sigilite. They, they rescue, rescue the Knights Errant, kill off lots of Death Guard, and return back to the Cryptus. But on the returns to the Cryptus, they rescue all the res- uh, refugees who were left on um, Rampant. And one of them is a young girl. And the young girl is going to be significant yeah. in more late parts of part two, early part of part three, isn't she? Because surely, surely by now, anyone who reads a story that has got a young girl when you're dealing with denizens <laughs> of a war knows to shoot that thing on sight, burn it, salt the earth where it's placed, and then burn it again just to make sure. You, you know it's not going to be a little girl, especially if it reminds you of your daughter. Because how many times has this happened now? It's just like, oh, I've seen... We, happens on uh Kalth with one of the um soldiers that goes off with uh Alinus Pius it happens with one of the perpetuals you know a demon that takes the form of a figure that looks like someone you loved or a family member it's just like really it's the oldest trick in the book why are you still falling for it well, see that's, I mean, it's the, that's it's the oldest the trick of the book for us, is. but not for for the character in the story. Well, the that's problem what is the imperial it, truth does is yeah. the imperial truth blinds you to superstition. <laughs> when you actually need it the most. So it's the uh, it looks like the daughter, or it is the it, it looks like the daughter of um, the the the, the shipmaster. Um, yes, and as soon as they in, as soon as you introduce characters, you know, especially um, like uh, like nine times out of ten, if they introduce human characters. You know they're probably going to fucking turn into demons at one point, um, or get eaten by demons, or get eaten by demons. Uh, you know something bad's going to happen to them. So yeah, uh, one of the refugees it looks like the uh, the um, uh, the captain's daughter, um, and uh, yeah, that's going to be significant. But before we get to that, before we get to what is honestly the best part of the book, but before we get to that, um, they fight Death Guard again. Yeah, but this one. They do, but there's another journey through the warp first, isn't it? Because oh, the navigator, right. the, it's nice to see a story where the navigator takes on a bit more of an active role because too often navigators are basically treated like a bit like a sat nav device in these Black Library books, aren't they? So it's like, well, we need to find our way through the warp. Buzz the navigator and they'll find a way through. And that happens off screen. It's only in, um, oh no, it's wrong. I was thinking uh, Astropaths there, but. You know, having navigator, having a navigator is one of the, not one of the main characters, but certainly one of the more significant characters in the story, I thought was a really good touch because it actually highlights how difficult it is traveling through the rune storm and the kind of issues that they're facing doing this as well. And also how much at risk they are from the warp and demonic entities when they're traveling through. Yep. Um, I, I, yeah, you're right. It, it, it was really interesting also that... Um... It was also really interesting that uh, the 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 librarian of of the surviving salamanders is also kind of like uh, supporting her, like you know, like trying to like keep her uh, because they know that their jump through the rune storm will kill her, and she knows it as well. 
Yeah. Um, and so the, the the librarian has to like you know I guess give her like fucking psychic dice. <laughs> like out of like the psychic pool of like five, like the 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 librarian is like you know offering like three of his dice. Yeah, he's he's almost acting like a fuse box, isn't he? Oh, that's a good way to put it. That's even better. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, yours is much more of a gaming analogy. Mine's much more of a driving analogy. Um, but yeah, so he's because we know librarians are much stronger than the average psyker anyway, because they're Astartes for beginners, from the beginning. We also know navigators are pretty good at their job, particularly if they're serving on a Astartes battle barge, they're one for higher grade navigators. So the fact that they still need this librarian to protect them from the worst elements of the ruined storm says a lot about how strong the ruined storm is. And don't forget, it's been recently created. It's relatively fresh, so it's not started dissipating yet. We're not at the kind of heading towards the last couple of years before the Siege of Terror. We're talking about the ruined storm at its height. That's actually a really good point as well. And even when it's waning, the rune storm has uh, system-wide uh, fortresses uh, full of uh, ship-destroying uh, trombones. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look how difficult it was for the Triumvirate to get through it. We, we, yeah. I mean, we did a whole series of talking about that in Ruinstorm, didn't we? And this is just a single battle barge trying to get through. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I thought this was a good element to add in. But we all, but this section of the book does, it really focuses on characterization between the key parts. Isn't it? it really starts to point out how stubborn Numian is. Yeah. about how he's absolutely insistent that Vulcan is still alive, despite the fact he's just laying in state within the bowels of a ship, and how the other salamanders are really lacking without that leadership. I mean, the chaplain, is it Xanthus? It's not Xanthan, that's uh, gum. Yeah, well, anyway, it's the chaplain who's really trying to hold them together, isn't it? Because... Xanthan, Xanthan. Xanthan, that's it. But, yeah, I mean... Numian is almost distancing himself from the rest of the Salamanders. And it's quite clear he's suffering a lot of flashbacks to his fan three because he was near uh, Vulcan when it went off, didn't he? He was near Vulcan when the nukes landed. Yeah. And that will be uh, significant when they get, uh, they get like attacked by, you know, in the warp. I don't know if yeah. we'll get to that today, but uh, yeah, that'll be very significant. And honestly, actually, yes. one of the good parts of the book. There's a lot of good in this book. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, I, and I think this comes to what I think is actually one of the important themes uh, of this book is Numian's role. Because he is technically, he's technically in charge of the Salamanders. Um, he is really the, the highest ranking uh, surviving uh, Astartes uh, in the Salamanders Legion. The way that Medusan is for the Iron Hands. The difference is uh, Medusan uh, assumes the lead, uh, his, his position of leadership. I don't think he relishes in it because there's not much about Medusan. But, you know, he accepts the fact that he's in charge. And it's like what we talked about last time with the, when we talked about the Shattered Legions. It's like he, you know, he organizes everybody that could be organized and sets up a defensive line and probably holds back the traitors for a significant amount of time. And he might be one of the unsung heroes of... Uh, the, the the heresy for for the um, uh, 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 for the for the loyalists. Numian doesn't want to do that. He still no, stubbornly Num insists that like Vulcan, he doesn't want to take take up the mantle. 
No, and it's really odd because in every other book we read, the Astartes are genetically programmed to step up when needed. And there's all and they have a clear chain of command which they will follow well very, very tenaciously. So it's really odd to suddenly have this character who has a clear chain of command. He knows the chain of command has fallen to him and he's not stepping up to it. And it actually does lead to blows, doesn't it? If you're one of the other salamanders, one of the pyroclasts, who kind of really challenges him and says, you should be leading this. And it actually yeah. leads to a physical brawl between the two just before they're boarded by more death guard. Yeah, I, I find that might be one of the most interesting things in this story is, is, is sort of Numion having, and he does eventually, uh, like after like the second boarding attack, you know, he eventually says like, I will lead us. Uh, yes, and, and I think that's a transition point. Like we mentioned earlier, there's a division between this drive for self-sacrifice, this yep. vengeful self-sacrifice and a drive to return to Nocturne. I think that boarding action and an event that happens during that boarding action, which I think we'll come on to in a few moments, is what the transition point, that's what flips them from, venge, from vengeful self-sacrifice or almost a desire to die so they can join Vulcan to returning Vulcan and getting back to Nocturne and carrying on the wider fight. Yeah. So you have the second uh, boarding attack. Um, I don't know, it's a bunch of Death Guard there. Um, they're going throughout the ship, right? But, um, and a bunch of them get cut down and eventually, and again, they seem like plague Marines, uh, or early yes. plague Marines. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is they were forced out of the warp as well, weren't they at this point? Mm-hmm. So the navigator was doing her best. She was, you know, they were, they were making some progress and then for some reason, and it's, I don't think it's ever really made clear, the warp basically, the warp basically vomits them out into the hands of the death guard vessels or, or two or three death guard vessels oh um, I, I think it's 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 the it's the word bearers that are doing it no they're they're using like a bunch of sorcery like no, they're literally right. uh they're they're literally talking about like when when uh, uh when we're the, the death guard have done their task i'll leave them stranded in the warp forever it's like oh interesting that's a that's... yes that's right because there's a few incidental chapters isn't there where you get this the word bearers off scene plotting things and etc so yeah you they're are just being mustache twirling villains yeah yeah, there's a there's a lot of stereotypes in this <laughs> But yeah. So they get thrown out, but it, you do get this impression that the Charybdis is quite damaged by this point because when the Death Guard are breaching, they're coming in through already open rents and um breaches in the hull, aren't they? Oh yeah. And again, a uh, bunch of death guard, but th- 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 what 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 they realize, I think it's uh, Numian who realizes it. Um uh, he realized they're not going for the bridge. They're not going for the engines. They're going for Vulcan. Yeah. Uh, and, and you realize it's uh, sort of like what this whole plan is. I guess the, the Death Guard are following the orders of the word bearers and, and they're trying to retrieve the Fulgurite. Yeah, and that's actually what the word bearers are after, isn't it? The word bearers want the yep. Fulgurite. Now, is it worth just recapping what the Fulgurite is very quickly? Because everybody, yeah, the Fulgurite is um, a weapon. Didn't the Cabal develop it? Um, it's not very clear. I mean, in the short story where it was first picked, it's described that it's created where the Emperor lands on a planet and it imbues some of the Emperor's abilities 
into this well basically a hunk of metal isn't it that it's, it's not actually a crafted weapon yeah um, exactly and and it can kill it could kill the emperor um and, and in uh, uh, uh unremembered empire uh this is a big part of the storyline uh i guess they tested on vulcan if he can kill vulcan then it could kill the emperor because uh, yeah. because uh, one of the things uh, remember all the primarchs have an element of their father and and vulcan's element is the perpetual like the perpetual side of him. Yeah, and that's also the other part of the Fulgurite is there's strong suggestions that it's John Grammaticus who mentions it quite a few times that it would kill even a perpetual. Yeah. Which so, is surprising this... that Grammaticus didn't use it on himself. Yeah. Because he but, tried to kill yeah. himself in like in, in Legion. Uh, and at the end of Legion, he's like... Don't, don't, don't pick on these threads. Don't. This, this book is not the place to pick those threads. All right, we'll, there's, talk, there's, about, we'll talk about oof, it later. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. But I'm, I'm glad I got M- Miles chimes in just got, to stop yeah. a conversation. But we got <laughs> yeah. The word bearers want it, don't they? The word bearers want it because they want to use it against at least other loyalist prime marks, but most certainly the emperor himself. Oh yeah. Um, but but the word bearers want to get it out of Vulcan's body, and they also mention that Numion has been trying to get it out every day. <laughs> And it just won't come out. No, it's stuck in there. Good. It's stuck. Uh, it's stuck real good. It it, it really is like some store, uh, sword in the stone kind of shit, right? It, they they can't get the Fulgurite out of Vulcan's body, so they're trying to yeah. yeah the Death Guard are going for that. There's a lot of mythological folktale elements in this, which I think suit the Salamanders, and I yeah. think that's something we're, we're going Absolutely. to come on certainly when we talk more about Old Earth. Is out of all the loyalist legions. They have the most mythological folktale elements to them, but that's that's another conversation for another time. But yeah, so the Death Guard born and Numian is with Vulcan at the time, isn't he? So he's kind of um, well, probably trying to get the Fulgurite out, but he's certainly talking to Vulcan's body about what he wants to do, what he wants to achieve. And the Death Guard do get in there, don't they? They do get into oh, what's the best way to describe it? the shrine. The tomb where where Vulcan is, however you want to describe it. I mean, he's not. I mean, he's dead right now, so tomb is good. Definitely shrine. I think shrine is the best. Yeah, we'll yeah, use shrine. More, so they're, yeah. they're trying. They're trying to get at him. Uh, Numion uh, realizes too late, and he almost gets ambushed by a bunch of uh, Death Guard. But then the Knight Errant just shows up and like blasts the Death Guard that's about to stab him. Yeah, and and, uh, and also. And also, somehow, and once again, it's not made clear, uh, Numian is also has hold of Dawnbringer. And he, st- he argues that, once again, Vulcan handed it to him to fight off the Death Guard. Yeah. Again, this is part of Numian's arc. He just does not want to assume command. No. Assume, like, being um, uh, in both senses of the word, right? Well, yeah, because, absolutely. Um, because, on the one hand... Um, you know, it is his responsibility to assume command if uh, the Primarch is dead, but also it assumes that Vulcan is dead. So it's um, it's it, it really is an interesting character arc. I think that's one of the really strong points um, in, in this book. Yes, Numian's arc is one of the stronger elements in this story. Yeah. It's very much a, I mean, we'll, we'll get Miles to chip in here because he's a literary expert, but it's very much a very strong passage of grief isn't it that sense of denial 
anger towards anyone who's trying to drive him into things he doesn't want to do and then that acceptance of grief and the acceptance of loss so that he can move on. Miles, would you agree with that? Oh, yes. Uh, you took the words right in my mouth. After being attacked by the Death Guard again and the Death Guard not succeeding in uh, grabbing Vulcan. But the uh, ship is really badly damaged, though, isn't it? Let's face yeah, they, they damage the shit out of it, but they still go back in. And the Warbearers, uh, this is part of the Warbearers' plan because they know how damaged uh, the Crypdis is, and they're literally talking amongst themselves, like, oh, they're going to try it again. They're going to try it again, and we're going to get them. And so they do. They, they, they try again. Um, uh, I, I, uh, and, and, and once again, uh, Darren, I think you make such a great point with Navigator having uh, like a lot of characterization and, and like there is a lot of sacrifice for her um, because she's probably not going to make it if they try to get uh, into the runestorm again. So they go in and even with their Geller field, I mean, there's, there's limits to what it can prevent. We're talking about the greatest warp storm that the galaxy has ever seen, possibly since the Age of Strife. Yeah. And, and I, I didn't even know. think it was the Age of Strife was bad. No. Well, possibly because it know. does mask her. And it, it's certainly one of the biggest ones up until the, the current timeline of 40K, certainly. And But it's once again, it's this recognition that if they drive back into warp again, it is going to kill the navigator. And it's that kind of recognition of, do we go back into it and risk her dying or but there is a chance we will get through to Nocturne or do we settle where we are? Do we stay where we are and let her rest? And there's some really strong conversations on both sides about it, isn't there? Yeah. And, but the decision is, you know, our objective is to uh, throw Vulcan into Mount Doom. So you know, we got to do it. death fire. Yeah. And they're not taking the Eagles there either. Why didn't it? That movie was silly. Just take the Eagles. Anyways, whatever. Um, I, I know that triggers a lot of Lord of the Rings fans. Um, but <laughs> as someone who's never read the books, and have, but, have, but the movies are constantly on in my house because my, my wife considers them like fucking... If, she, if she's feeling bad, the fucking movies go on. Anyways, so the, the objective is to bring uh, Vulcan to Nocturne. And so that's the decision that's made. And yeah. so they go back in the warp. And this is the best part of the whole fucking book. Again, we're going to talk about some pro- some things that we don't necessarily love about uh, this book. It's not necessarily the strongest entry, but um, there's some amazing elements. And this part, when they go into the warp and shit gets real, like Event Horizon real, fantastic. Yes, now you've mentioned that, you can really see some of the connections between the two can't we that there are yeah event horizon is a very very good comparison to make because we know that is a 40k origin oh yeah uh, and and well the, the event of horizon is essentially the a prequel to 40k because that's when they discover the warp drive it turns out it's a terror you need to develop a geller field too because <laughs> yeah. otherwise yeah. you wind up with someone handing you his eyes slight slight problem yeah it's just like, brilliant, we've got a faster than light travel that can take us anywhere. The problem is, anywhere goes through hell. You go yeah. through hell. <laughs> Slight problem. But there we go. Tiny, no anyway. tiny downside. Tiny downside. Anyway, right, anyway let's, talk, let's talk about the demon incursion. Okay, my favorite fucking part of the book, right? Because we talked about that, uh, that, that kid, that, 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 that small child. Which so, they should have shot in the face in the beginning. Should, yeah, Absolutely. Uh, so she um, she's on the bridge suddenly. The, the shipmaster's like, oh my God, it's it's like she looks exactly like my daughter. Why is she on the bridge? 
uh, why, why is she like running around on the bridge? And he says something like, you shouldn't be here. And then she turns to him and says, you shouldn't be here. Um, it was so great. That's just, that's, that's awesome. So, uh, yeah, she's a demon. She's a demon. It's the, it's the classic horror movie, the possessed exorcist. It's that really clear horror movie trope. And I love it when you get those kind of tropes when we come in with, um, demon storylines because it's what we're familiar with and it's what they would do you know demons there's, there's some great elements in warhawk where they talk about the fact that demons lie they cannot tell the truth until it suits their purpose so you can never fully trust them miles will kind of back me up now but the conversation between the death guard and the demons with no spoilers coming in are some of the most interesting sections of warhawk um miles I feel like I'm being really terse during this uh, conversation, but I don't want to give anything away. Yes, they are some of the most in- they, some of the most interesting. Fuck, I, I don't know how to rephrase this without sounding like I'm just parroting it back, like I'm disinterested. <laughs> they are some of the most re- revealing parts of that book. Yes. Sorry, go, go back to sleep now, Mars. We'll wake you up for. A <laughs> we'll wake you up at the end. <laughs> we'll Sweet. wake up for a two week up challenge. <laughs> Um, oh no, this, this is fantastic part of the book. So yeah, this this child demon is just like yeah, um, a wonderful addition. I know that Nick Kime didn't specifically say that her head turned completely three hundred sixty, uh, sorry, one hundred eighty degrees around uh, when she said that, but like definitely, you know, you in my head. yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, you don't belong reform. here. So yeah, all the face would reform on the back of the head, and everything would shift around, something creepy like that. So and that, it would mimic it. Sorry, uh, go ahead. I, I interrupt you. I apologize. I was going to say, or, or it would mimic his voice in return exactly perfectly. Oh, yes. Something like that. Yeah, this is that's creepy. That's that's an excellent horror movie uh, tropes. See, but that's one of the things I love the most about this universe. This is why I have a, uh, a, a, a horse heresy podcast and not a Star Trek podcast. I love Star Trek, but like it's missing that horror element that 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 I find so intriguing that really draws me to this universe. Uh, I'm drawn to the darkness, as many of us are. Um, so yeah, this is this is a great like part with like hunting this child, and and there's this other um, uh, uh, a great part with Zathan, uh, the, uh, the the chaplain, because um, a lot of different people have different experiences uh, when they break into the warp and and are dealing with something that's powerful to overcome their Geller fields. Um, and also, this demon was there before. That's the other thing they, 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 they mentioned. The demon didn't breach in. The demon was brought in. It was like... Yes. Yeah. The, 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 it was already a demon. Like <laughs> I think everybody called it when... when uh, I think, Darren, you, met, you, 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 you made it such a great point. It's like everybody saw that. If you're describing this child, that child is definitely a demon. <laughs> yeah. If you're spending you're- a chapter talking about this child, that child is definitely evil. You're, you're highlighting the that you're yeah. highlight, highlighting that character out of all the refugees, and it's a child. We know how this works. Yeah, what I also theme. like, and it once again plays into that horror theme, is all the Vox goes down over ships, so none of the legionaries can communicate with each other. So everyone is isolated, and yeah. that's, and I, I liked how that was also in some ways like a metaphor for Salamanders as a whole. They're cut off from the wider Imperium in this case. They're cut off from their Primarch. They're cut off from any kind of support mechanism. So it's working on so many levels. And I do agree, this is a point where the book starts to become a little bit more interesting again. Yep. Uh, and honestly, um, I th- 
well, let's talk about Zathan, uh, and and then I think we'll we'll call it for today because um, man, we were we were talking about like uh, we might not not have that much to talk about. We have a lot. Um, but let's let's talk about what happens with Zathan, and then we'll we'll call it, and then we'll come back at this point for the next episode. How's that? How, uh, does that work for you? Yep. Okay. So um, Zathan has this memory, this flashback, this P, uh, PTSD flashback of uh, Isfan Five, and um, starts uh, setting Death Guard on fire, as as one does. Well, one does if you're a salamander. Yes. It, well, if you're a salamander, yeah. Because apparently that doesn't count as as a, a horrible weapon. Burning people is not a war crime, apparently. Yeah, it's not a war like setting people on fire. Phosphex, you know, poison, poison gas, definitely bad. And you should be chastised for using it. Setting people on fire, totally okay. It's like that Drake meme. So he starts setting Death Guard on fire. Then he realizes, wait a second, these aren't Death Guard. <laughs> these are my brothers. Uh, and then his fucking, his, his Promethea, uh, his Promethean pack explodes. Uh, so he, 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 has, he has a moment. Yeah, bless him. But it's not surprising considering what I mean, all the stories we read of his fan three, you read about all the stories, the Iron Hands, Raven God, even with Astarte psychology, there's nothing prepared them for conflict on that scale and the the carnage that was unleashed against them. Yeah, and it comes back to um I guess what I talked about earlier and what I think this book brings out very well is that the Salamanders are the most broken legion. Um, there's yeah. a bunch of broken legions. Frankly, all of them are a little bit broken. That was kind of the problem. Um, but salamanders are, are more broken than most. The uh, most the the Raven Guard lost numbers, but have their primarch. The Iron Hands lost their primarch, but have numbers. Salamanders have neither. So they so, suffered immensely. Yeah. Yeah. So do we want to kind of finish off with some kind of commentary on this middle section of the book then? Because I think. All of all three of us have it, it's not negative criticism because it is an enjoyable book, and I think in some ways this book is instrumental for the Salamander arc. Because if we don't get this book, then we can't see the progression for Old Earth, and we can't see how some of the events of the siege will actually play out, which we don't want to mention too much about because we don't want to give away spoilers for things that turn up later in. Um, the Magnus novella, for example, in the Siege of Terror series. Mm. Um, but, and this is my personal opinion, we'll, we'll, we'll see what you two chime in with as well. I think a lot of this could be cut down. I, I think as a novel, there seems to be a lot of filler space where things could have been more succinct. And I think if it was had been a novella, I think it would be a lot more focused, a lot more concise but still bring out these main themes of the journey of grief, the acceptance of loss and progression from that. What do you guys think? Oh, I'll, I'll give them uh, the mic to, uh, to miles uh, considering uh, <laughs> his opinion. I don't read, really, I don't really know what to say at this section because we're a, a very positive podcast, but uh, okay. So we, about three months ago, we read this. Uh, I didn't enjoy the book. I, I, I again, not, 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 nothing personal. It's just you read things, you you watch TV shows, you you consume media. You're not going to like everything because you're you're not that kind of person. 
Um, and we've all said in this podcast, well, if it's not fun, we don't do it. So to, I, I guess, talk about this on and off every week for, what was it, like a month now? Mm. It, it hasn't been a great experience. Um, I, and anything else I say beyond that, I feel, would be not a great thing to put on a public forum. Jesus, that's even worse than what you would have said. I know, I know. Because <laughs> now you can just imagine the worst things. <laughs> yeah, it's, I didn't enjoy this. Uh, uh, we we literally we we remember we were talking about like we were gonna we were we were gonna do uh, old earth, and then we realized that we had never done Deathfire, and I think the reason yeah. is because uh, I started reading this book and I gave up after like hundred pages. It is not, and it, it, there's so much good in it, but it did not need to be four hundred pages long. This could easily have been the first part of old earth, uh, or or a novella. I think uh, Darren, you make a good point. It could have been a novella. It feels padded. Like the second time the Death Guard attacks, it's like, I, I, I don't feel this is, nece- this is necessary. Um, there's a lot of padding in this book. Um, that said, there's a lot of good in it. I think we've mentioned, and, and we do try to stay positive uh, on this show because like, they don't put out a lot of bad books. I even found a lot to enjoy in Furious Abyss, which is universally like, regarded as the worst of all the books. I thought there's a lot to enjoy about it. Um, You're dead to me. Shut up! It's it, there's, <laughs> there's some fun stuff in there. It's it's fun. Uh, it's a fun book. It's, it's, it doesn't have the gravitas, especially coming after, um, um, uh, like it came after Legion, didn't it? Like it didn't have the gravitas of the other books. But anyways, when we're not here to talk about Furious Abyss, Deathfire is not Furious Abyss. It's a it's it, it just it doesn't feel. Man, I, don't you feel that we had the same conversation when we were talking about fucking Rune Storm? I, I think the difference is the second time we're reading Runestorm, we picked a lot more out of it because Runestorm is that transitional novel from the clean Great Crusade legionary war to the war against chaos. Yeah, you still have going through like I, 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 I get what was necessary. Again, uh, I think there's, there's there's wonderful parts of this book. I really love the whole uh, the the demon incursion. Uh, I think Numion's storyline is fantastic. There's a lot to love in this book. But I, I, I agree with both of you when, when, to, when I say that it could have been cut down to a novella or possibly even the first part of Old Earth. Um, yeah. But uh, you know what? Again, we try to stay positive here. Uh, I, I still think it's a good book. They're all good books. It's like they're all good dogs, right? <laughs> um. So I think uh, we'll conclude in the next episode, uh, the last bit of Deathfire. Um, and unless anybody else has something uh, that they'd like to add, I think we can go to uh, two-week hobby challenge. And welcome back to the two-week hobby challenge. Let's see what all our listeners, as well as what we have been up to over the past couple of weeks. So gents, what have you been up to? Um, I've been uh, trying to figure out uh, what I what I can realistically bring to Adepticon. Uh, I can't bring my Night Lords because uh, I uh, that project isn't far enough along. So I'm going to be bringing my Iron Warriors. But since I'm not bringing Militia this year, um, that means that I can bring, um, for the first time, bring an actual only Iron Warriors army, which I don't remember even ever playing. I don't remember the last time I played just Iron Warriors. I've been figuring out what uh, I've been fixing some models. I uh, got a couple that that uh, that had broken arms and things that I don't usually use. Uh, that's going to go back into the list. I made my 
uh, list for Adepticon. And I started finishing up because I never finished my Falcon because I never use it, uh, mainly because, uh, I, again, I, I rarely, if ever, use full Iron Warriors armies, full Astartes armies. So, um, and it never really fits in, into my list. I usually use my, um, uh, my Lupercal Heavy Tank as my, um, as my uh, Lord of War. So I'm going to finish my Falcon, which is exciting. So I already laid down um, some, uh, some base coats on it. And so for the next, that's pretty much the main thing that I need to complete for the army. Uh, the problem is I have a 3,000 point army with two troop choices because my troop choices are always malicious ones. So it's not going to be very effective, uh, but it should be fun. So yeah, I started working on my Falcon and hopefully I can get that done quickly. And I'll uh, definitely be posting a picture of it soon. Probably for the next one, I'll post a picture of it because hopefully it'll be, it'll be uh, more than just a bolt gun metal. <laughs> so that's what I've been doing. And Darren, what have you been up to? Uh, bits and pieces. I've got into a kick of suddenly rebasing all my Sons of Horus because I've been doing this project for so long that most of my infantry are on 25s. So, oh, I'm wow. In, I'm in, yes, yes, yeah. So I'm in the process of rebasing all my models, which are on 25s. And I've done, well, this, in the last couple of weeks, I've finished my second tactical squad and I've done my Master of Signals. Uh, I've finished my final squadron of dwarf monitors for my Man of War fleet as well. My dwarf love it, war fleet. love it. And I finally, and slight moment to shame here, I finished my first ever Lords of War unit, which is a knight. So I finished, finally finished wow. my knight from House Erthigan. So thoroughly enjoyed doing it, but it's been, yeah, it's been a long time for me to get around to finally doing a, for Lords of War. But I'm there. So I'm just coming off a Christmas break. Uh, I have not painted anything over Christmas. Nothing. Nothing. No. Uh, I needed just a complete and utter. Uh, so um, during the month of December, I run the uh, advent calendar, uh, and it's a daily release. And by the end of that, I don't want to paint another miniature. I don't want to look at another miniature. So I, I take the rest of the month off. Um, what have I done? Uh, I've started on a Sisters of Battle commission, but I have done no painting for myself at all. Wow. Nada. Zilch. This this makes me feel bad that we don't use the Box of Shame anymore. I don't think I've ever <laughs> used it on you. I yeah, might throw it in uh, there. <laughs> but how yeah, many cons I, I, are you about to start painting? Cons, four. Not bad. Uh, I have to... I've, I've So with... Um, previous experience i don't do any more than four at a time otherwise uh the i just i lose interest and i don't think it's fair on clients that i do that so yeah it's, it's only ever batches of four yeah didn't you have like 11 sanguineuses going at the same time at one point <laughs> yeah that that was the kind of break i had with reality <laughs> so i i got like a third of the way through 11 sanguineuses and then i said no this is crazy and then i worked it down into more manageable batches of four. So I was doing only four at a time. <laughs> only have four! Your, have you finished your Sanguine Nurse yet? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, you know perfectionism is a uh, mental Ill illness, eh? Uh, yeah. Uh, so it's a deficit of time, apparently. Yeah, just uh, I, I did plan on doing it over Christmas. Uh, just Just it didn't i watched a load of studio ghibli films instead what's studio ghibli are those the uh, anime? The did, yeah they the people did so uh, uh princess mononoke oh, okay delivery service 
Uh, I watched. Uh, yeah, my wife's a huge fan of Yeah, Toronto for the first time. Yeah, really enjoyable. I think they get better the older you get as well. Like, I just needed something nice to watch. And well, those films, awesome. yeah, Spirited Away, uh, yeah, was really nice, really enjoyable to watch. I just needed something nice where people weren't shooting at each other or being mean to each other. I just needed something nice over Christmas. Yeah, I actually wound up watching a bunch of Asterix, Asterix et Obelix. Uh, I don't know if you guys have that in the, the UK. They're like Belgian. No. It's a Belgian uh, Oh, uh, Asterix. Uh, comics. Right. Yeah, Sorry. Asterix, yeah. yeah. Sorry to anglicanize it. Asterix, yeah, I know Asterix, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, that, that was my childhood. Uh, like in, in, in the holidays, they would be uh, like on one of, the, one of our channels, uh, it would be like wall-to-wall like cartoons, like, like old French cartoons like Le Culuc and uh, Asterix and stuff like that. That was my childhood. So if, that's, that's my like holiday comfort food. So I get what you mm. mean. Yeah, I, I, like Christmas is tough all around for everybody. And then you had COVID dumped on top of it. Uh, so yeah, I, I I just needed pure escapism uh, of the uh, and the the films. Uh, one thing I noticed: you can pause them at any time, and you can use as an advertisement for that film. They are so well constructed, and they are so well thought out. Pan- uh, anyway, okay, let's see what our listeners have been up to. Whether they've been watching anime over Christmas, Graham Sanders. This time around, I've been working on scratch building some Thunder Warriors. Use Necromunda Goliaths as a basis. Oh, they look awesome. Uh, Graham, I wonder whether you're using the um, Oz 30K rules for them. So that looks awesome. Yeah, it's great uh, conversion. Yeah. I like yeah, how it's but, not using Primaris. I, I think it's become... Uh, no, not, sorry, not, not, not Primaris, but... Uh, Stormcast. Stormcast, yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that seems to be the, the go-to these days, but uh, this is uh, taking a different route. Really like it. Yeah, we have Richard Neary still painting orcs at the moment. We'll return into my 30k ECs if, when we get news of the Siege of Terror box, keep your ears peeled for that. And it's very nice orc as well, very nice and colorful. Ezra Meyer, I needed a break for my Night Lords, so I've uh, finished the base for my CC Reva and printed and painted some of my Titan uh, Hunter infantry to match my basing. Thank you for Moon Jam on Thing Universe for the awesome Tiny Marine SDL. Oh, those! Oh look, that's Amazing. awesome. See, we're doing something similar, Ezra. Uh, I'm also doing uh, like trench bases, but mine are more uh, are are. I've, I've posted them several times, um, but mine are uh, are sort of like a winter themed. But uh, this is great. That's freaking great little awesome. trench works. Uh, we have Paul Spuddy Shaw, top fan. Been building lots more units for my worldie to start on December fourth. Holy God! Wow, you've made some real progress there. Four land raiders, 15 terminators, and 10 marines built in two weeks. Four. Wow. Oh, see, there's something about world eaters I keep coming back to. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of students have been saying if they ever release a corn a new corn berserker kit, that would just be it. Yeah. I I do have a soft spot for a white and red scheme, that mid-heresy scheme. Mm, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I absolutely I, love that. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, okay, let's move on swiftly before yeah. I start spending money. Yeah. Uh, top fan, Andrew Woods, slowly working through my death guard in Imperial Fist. Sadly, COVID cases have exploded in Australia. Yeah, it's all over. Uh, so transport is under major pressure to keep everything running with the people laid off. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I hope you managed to do it, uh, Andrew. Uh, okay, we have Nick Hall, been working on my 2022 hobby project, Thousand Sons Recon Company. Nice. Yeah, core three sniper uh, dudes done. 
now working on some more support choices to give them some teeth. Yeah, they look amazing. Very grimdark. You often see very grimdark um, Thousand Suns. So it's a nice relief to see them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's uh, it is definitely a different way to to do them. Um, I, I'm liking the uh, the weathering the uh, uh, um, I guess uh, like sand like um, yellow sand kind of thing, yellow mud. Um, it, mm. it, it's it's a nice contrast. Yeah, gorgeous, gorgeous. Okay, next up we have Anders Friedrichsen, top fan, working on my Eidena Deepkin. Oh, holy God, they very very powerful. Uh, working on the scales, fins, and skin color of the armored scales. And then we have an update, a couple of updates. Yeah, gorgeous, gorgeous stuff. I, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a sucker for cool color palettes, uh, and that really plays into it. Cool uh, as in like blues the, and greens? Uh, yeah, anything on the cool side of the color yeah. wheel. Even touching on magenta. Like I, I, Yeah, I'm just a sucker for. Uh, we have Sarah Elwood carrying on a uh, fantasy scheme, working on some dark elves. Ooh, we're seeing a recent... I mean, isn't the old world out this year? Well, I don't think it'll be this year. I think it'll be more 23. Maybe. Uh, but certainly it's a, it's a work in progress, isn't it? I mean, we know, obviously, COVID has delayed everything, so yeah. I'd be expecting to see more 23. But yes, it, it's coming. It's coming. I want to see that. Uh, well, hopefully if they do new Bretonian sculpts, I'd love to see new Bretonians. Uh, but anyway, Hugh Johnson, start of my yet unnamed night house guard basically solar rules with allied detachment of knights i like that that's a really yeah. cool idea for the army yeah, yeah I like, like uh, i like the idea of not using skatari as 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 sort of like the the, the um this knight's uh, uh guard um it mm. fits really well with um uh, with some of the uh the, the, the some of the, the 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 night worlds that um um we're just recently contacted by the Mechanicum, for example. Um, I also mm. like the scheme that it uses uh, um, like alternating blue and white, sort of like checker, not checker, but uh-huh. what, what would you, how would you describe this? So oh, like, uh, uh, yeah, quartered. Quartered, thank you. So using blue and white, like quartered, it looks like a, uh, um, it, it does look like a medieval knight uh, or like a, it's like a Bretonian cover, uh, color scheme. Really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really. I can't wait to, Hugh, please keep us up to date with us. A really nice color scheme. Uh, Ian Weber, every year is a heresy here. Uh, I'm doing some more beaten up red wizard boys. So again, beaten thousand sons. Again, great to see. Yeah, fantastic to see. Some nice, uh, yeah. some some nice brushwork with the, uh, um, I guess the chips on the armor. Yeah, really well done. Really, really good. Uh, we have Gads, uh, sorry, Gaz NZ, finish off a batch of guys with classic dreads and the contemptor as well. Hail Hydra, hail Hydra, Gaz. Uh, Thomas, uh, Thomas Frunes, sorry if I've butchered that. Uh, we have a uh, Reaver for Adeptus Titanicus. I really like the um, sort of like warm yellow and red scheme that you got going on there. Very classic GW. Yeah, nice, and, and nice weapons load out as well with the uh, thermal cannon and the power fist. Nice. I really want to play AT. Yeah, no, <laughs> I know. Uh, then we have Darren with your gorgeous, gorgeous knight. Yeah, absolutely love that. Um, and then Man of War, and then Masters of Signals rebased. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking about doing the same thing with the Blood Angels, just to give him a little bit of a, a lift, a little bit of a rebase. Uh, okay, we have uh, Tanel Voltson, top fan, heads of the Crusader, almost assembled Helbrecht and the Apothecary. 
oh wow, I really like the black that you've used there. It's um, a very like brown black you've used. Yeah, gorgeous stuff, Tanel. I think it means a lot um, when you compliment someone's black. Yes, yeah, I've painted enough of it. Um, we have Justin Gaskins, top fan, finished my spot, and I'm pretty proud of it. Yeah, really nice weathering work. Yeah. Uh, oh, nice skulls. work on uh, treads. They look evil. Got like big yeah. spiky treads. That looks absolutely brutal. Absolutely bru- brutal, Justin. Really good work. Yeah, I like that. Uh, oh, we have Gaz with a couple of updates of his Alpha Legion. Yeah, I'm liking that. I, I, I like the uh, turquoise that you've used. Very nice. Ah, Jason Ardito, making my way through more war hands. Uh, I think you've got the bug now. I really do think you've got the bug for 80 and 80 modeling. Oh, uh, you can ne- and you can never have enough warhounds. Yeah. Never. Look, this is a, a separate discussion for another day, but the cooler chassis of Titan. Anyway, Grant Wills, top fan. I finished my unit of red hand destroyers. Ooh, and also built three more missile launcher heavy support marines uh, for my Alpha Legion to bring them to a full squad. Oh, they look so brutal. The black and the red. Whew. Yeah, they look great. They look so, so Fantastic. brutal. Alpha Legion look good. Uh, I picture the dog. Oh, okay. Yep, I'm liking that. Nice. Bonus points. Bonus that's good, points. Oh, that's a good doggo. That's a good dog. That's very good. And there's a bonus dog in the background as well. Double so dog. Two dogs for the price of one photo. Well done. Good work. Uh, we have David Stanley starting a gene steel cult army. Ooh, adding units to my white scars and world eater armies. Okay, uh, uh, let's go to Philip Hansen, top fan. Assault unit will be painted in Night Lord colors with black shoulders. Ooh, to be used as black shields for our next event. Awesome. Excellent. Using good conversions as well, using uh, like a mix of the new 40k kit and yep. the uh, older Mark IV. Oh, Paul Harris started work on the Blood Angel Army. That's a very strong red we have there, Paul. Yep. I'm also uh, that, that um also have a soft spot for them. And we have Mortem Remus Christensen, my Reaver Titan for Legion Artem. That's going to be supporting my Mechanicum. Very nice. Thank you very much for everyone who has submitted. Uh they all look fantastic. Absolutely. Great work, everyone. Um, all right, so to end the show. Uh, lately, I've been finding even more uh, 40k metal bands, uh, surprisingly. There seems to be a bumper crop uh, lately. So I'm going to play a song from a Canadian 40k-themed death metal band called World Eaters. They're from Guelph. And I'll be, uh, I'll be, uh, be playing a, a song from their uh, latest album, Grinding Advance. Uh, probably Armored Spearhead, Hellhammer. Um, so yeah, there's been a bumper crop lately. So I think maybe uh, in the next episode, I might uh, have a quick little segment, uh, breaking, uh, like, uh, listing all the, uh, awesome 40 K metal bands I found recently. Um, so check out world eaters, uh, go to their band camp. It'll be in the show notes and support 40 K metal, 30 K metal, Just, you know, Warhammer metal, all of it, support it all. Um, so what are we doing next episode? I was going to say, we're certainly going to be doing the next of the campaigns, aren't we? So we're going to do Pharaohs. Uh, are we going to do... Which one are we doing? Uh, it's going to be the Pharaohs one, so we get to talk okay. about Atramanta. Excellent. Oh, I yes. Forward, uh, I look forward to talking about that one. Um, I guess we're going to be concluding Deathfire. Um, um, briefly. Br- briefly. We always say briefly. We always say briefly, and it's never brief. <laughs> and uh, um, Miles, do you have anything for us for a uh, two-week uh, two challenge? Yes, I do. 
TBD. TBD. All right. TBD. Good old TBD. So this was episode 122. As usual, thanks for listening. I've seen war in all its forms. I've seen feral world savages braining each other with stones. And I've monitored the death of a whole planet at the hands of a virus bomb. I've seen space marines drop to certain death and win. I've seen titans crush whole platoons underfoot. There is no more stirring sight in war than the charge of the armored spearhead.